Hey, welcome to the 264th episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I recently just talked about a bunch of John Byrne Fantastic Four comics from the 1984. Love that stuff. Classic stuff. She-Hulk on the team. There's there's more. I may come back to it very, very soon. But I'm going to take a break this week and, and do a movie from the 80s, which I haven't seen. I, ha- I hadn't seen before I watched it. So uh, it's, it's not your typical movie you'd expect, so you may want to check that out. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash g-man from heck all right what is going on this week there's a kind of there's a lot to talk about the movie feature i hope you're excited about this i was i was excited about this kevin smith's clerks three clerks three is finally out and i'm i'm reason main thing i was excited I, i'm glad i got to see it in a the theater because you know it wasn't like a super wide release i did go to one of those like fathom events or you know like a special screening things but then it did it ended up um, opening up in my my theater this, this past weekend but I'm, i hope people go to see it hope people enjoy it you know it's it's it was cool to see like all returning characters and just everything like that but more on that later uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna talk about uh, Cobra Kai. I didn't get as far as as I hoped. Uh, you know, since it came out like a week ago now, I was hoping to get through like five episodes this season. I, I think I'm only gonna do three th- this week because there's just so much other stuff. You know, there's Lord of the Rings, uh, She Hulk, the season finale of Harley Quinn, Star Girl, The Patient, House of Dragon, Rick and Morty. So much to cover. <laughs> And in this coming week, I was like, oh, my goodness, we got, I think, I think Star Wars and or I'm pretty sure it comes out this week, three episode premiere. It's like, you're killing me here. <laughs> so all this, let's, so let's just get to it since there's so much talking about the news, some stuff that came out like last weekend, I, I should have talked about it this weekend, but there's a Mandalorian trailer. So that, that is great. It, it was supposed to come out in February 2023, but now it's just as 2023. So I think it's pushed back a little bit. And as I always say, make sure it's done right. Don't rush it. Don't make it garbage. You know, take your time. Even if it means a little delay or a long day, we want to have good stuff. Um, the Star Wars The Bad Batch has been pushed back to January 2023. You know, I think it was supposed to come out this year, but they, they pushed back. So, we you know, we, we did get a little little trailer in that. Um, there is also Star Wars Tales of the Jedi. It's going to be six shorts. Now, what is my problem with this? They're all dropping on the same day. So it's going to be on October 26th on Disney+. Plus. I'm not really sure. I'm sure the information out there. I don't know how long these shorts are. But it's, it's staggered us out. You know, may, may keep us in suspense. I, I don't know why. I mean, I guess if they're shorts and you watch them all at once, it's kind of like watching a movie or whatever. But... Uh, you know how I feel about that stuff, so I, I won't won't go further into that. Uh, there is also there was a, a new Willow trailer. I'm not really sure how I feel about Willow. I need to watch Willow again because I saw it like way long time ago, and there's stuff that I probably barely remember about that. So I'm curious about the show. I don't know if it's something I'm going to cover because watching the trailer, I feel like 
it's like one of those things where I feel like there's so many characters, like so much going on. It's kind of like my, <laughs> I, like I feel a little intimidated, to be honest. You know, am I going to be able to remember everyone and, and stuff like that? And maybe, you know, if I rewatched the first one, that would help, but we'll see. But uh, the, the news is uh, Christian Slater is going to be in the show. He's in a mystery role. We don't know who or what he's playing if he's, um, yeah, we'll see. So that's going to be November 30th on Disney Plus. They're uh, crazy. I don't, I'm not, I haven't even, pro- I only watched it once. I, I forced myself to only watch once. There was a trailer for Secret Wars. So now we're at Marvel stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, I really don't know what to expect. I'm I'm super excited and, and scared at the same time. Because you, or did, what did I say? Did I say Secret Wars? Secret Invasion. I don't know if I said Secret Invasion. I hope I said Secret Invasion. I feel like I said Secret Wars. Secret Invasion. This is Secret Wars is a different thing. Secret Invasion is like such a, a big crazy. Just the implications, the fact that there could be scrolls, and now it's kind of got gotten me thinking. You know, I'm thinking back with the comics. It's it's almost like, so what if Tony Stark really didn't die? What if that was? Uh, although I guess if he had died, he would have reverted to a scroll, unless they they change things, you know, somehow. But you never know now. You know who if, if scrolls are already here. You know how many. Oh, these other people could be scrolls because that's how it was in a comic. We we're like, holy crap, we didn't know that. And, you know, maybe part of the psychological training where they really feel like they're who they're replacing. And so they're doing the things that they would do, but they're really reporting on whatever. So it, it's just, it's kind of cool to see, you know, we got Maria Hill and she comments how, you know, Nick Fury hasn't been on Earth in years, which is just crazy to think about that. You know, it's just, like I said, scrolls have already infiltrated Earth and. I just, I I hope that this is big, but doesn't get like too bonkers, and I'm I'm sure it won't because you know obviously they, they've been doing a good job with everything. Olivia Coleman and Amelia Clark, you get glimpses of them in the trailer, but no real indication who they may be playing. So they're still keeping that a secret, which I think is cool. I I hope I I would like not to to know. You know, let, let us be surprised. You know, but I'm sure something is going to kind of come out. So that's going to be in Disney Plus in 2023. I don't think there's a firm date for that yet. Other big Marvel news is a uh, Thunderbolts cast. So we we had you know we heard the rumors. We we had a pretty good idea. So we're, you know obviously we have Valentina Dave Fortune whatever her name is you know Julia Louise Dreyfus, but uh, Red Guardian is going to be on the team. It's like, oh, that's great, because he was, I loved him in Black Widow. We also have John Walker, which is interesting, because not that long ago, he's like, oh, I haven't heard. maybe he was talking about Captain America, the Captain America movie, where he said he hadn't heard anything. So I don't know if he, if this, where this was, if he knew about Thunderbolts, or just was whatever. Then we have the ghost, we haven't seen since Ant-Man and the Wasp, and, which I'm really interested with her character to see, you know, I, I thought that that actress did a good job in that role, even though they changed who the character was. But I'm I'm really curious to see more. I've been wanting to see more. We have Yelena. Um, she's going to be Belova is going to be in there, and then uh, Taskmaster. So that, that's also cool that they're bringing in Taskmaster from Black Widow, so we could get to you know follow up there, and then Bucky Barnes. So that's kind of like throws the the well, not really because. I mean, Yelena, I, I, honestly, I don't, I don't even know if we can say she's fully good because you know, she was going to kill – well, she was going to kill Hawkeye because she blamed Hawkeye for her for Natasha's death. But So it's where are they going with these? You know, it's it's kind of hard 
to put a finger on it. It's like, are they good? Are they bad? Because obviously the Thunderbolts, you know, they were villains posing as heroes. With uh, Valentina, I don't know what her agenda is. You know, that that's that could be... And, and you know, maybe she's tricking them all. Now everyone's saying it's like, oh, just Marvel's take on Suicide Squad. It's like, no, not it's not. You know, not really. So it's a whole different thing. But I, I'm... I hope it, it it's good. I'm sure it will be. So then, what was kind of nuts? There's a trailer for Werewolf by Night. It was like all black and white, and and I haven't read anything deeper. I don't know if that was just for the sake of the trailer to give it like an old timey feel, like a horror, you know, old time horror feel vibe. So it, that looks looks pretty pretty nuts. So I I can't wait. Um, for that, I I'm more excited than I was before because when I heard, I was like, oh, okay. I think they've made it pretty clear that Moon Knight is not going to be in there. You know, they they some of the the actors were asked this, of course, and which is such a stupid question. You know, so at at like when people are interviewing them, trying to get a sound bite, it's like, oh, is Moon Knight going to appear? Moon Knight. It's like if it hasn't been announced, it's like, yeah, they're going to tell random interviewer, you know, this big thing, which it could. You know, and I don't know if they're trying to get them to slip something, which is not cool. You know, you don't try to put someone on the spot like that. Uh, with Captain America 4, the, the, the word is that the leader is is going to be be back. Tim Blake Nelson. So he's reprising his role from Incredible Hulk. So last we saw him, wasn't he like withering on the floor? He like hit, got hit by gamma radiation or something like that. So who knows what, what's going to be up with him? We still don't know. I, I don't. I kind of feel like they're, they're not necessarily going to go there. But it's like, could he have been involved with the Wrecking Crew in She-Hulk episode three? Because you know they were going after her blood, and we haven't heard anything yet. Which you know maybe we will. You know this, the show's not over yet. But maybe that they'll, they'll make that. That would be cool if they they use that that connection that you know, that he that he's up to something. I don't know. Other news, let's see, Star Wars Rogue Squadron, it might not be happening. So this is the Patty Jenkins movie. It was supposed to, I forgot when it was supposed to come out. I think, I think it was December 2023, but it's been removed from the calendar. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's canceled for good. Usually when th- things get shifted to a new date, they don't just get removed. And, and Patty Jenkins is busy. You know, she's, she's got other stuff lined up, so I, I don't know what this means, and I don't know how much pre-production was put into it. So we'll have to see it, if there's any any new updates with with that. Quantum Leap. Now I need to decide so that that starts this week. You know, as, as you listen to this, I think, but well, pretty sure it's it's Monday to like whatever. Um, but it's on NBC, so I, I'm, that makes me a little cautious, a little whatever. But apparently, Scott Bakula says he's he's not coming back to the show. He was sent the script for the pilot because I guess they he they said that he was in it, but maybe they just mentioned him. But f- it wasn't fully from the the, the quotes that I, I the soundbites or whatever. It didn't necessarily, it wasn't really clear why he's not involved. He wanted to make this clear. He wanted to get this out there because you know he's really happy for the fans like, all these years. You know, and you know everyone's been wondering. So he just wants he wants to make it clear. You know, don't get your hopes up or anything. He wants them to be happy. He wishes everyone, you know, luck and success on, on the show, but he's not involved with it. So that's that's too bad. I mean, and, and on the one hand, maybe it's a good thing so it can be its own thing and not, like, you know, tied to the past or whatever. But on the other hand, it would, it would have been cool, but 
We'll see. I mean, maybe we'll check it. I'll check it out. I, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Michael Keaton was talking about uh, Batgirl. He said it was a good film. Is, is he being overly polite? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people said it wasn't good, you know, those that supposedly saw it. He thinks that the whole cancellation thing, whatever, was was a just a business decision. It's not that it was, like, so bad. But it, yeah, I don't know. Is he just saying that? It, it's just it's it stinks that we'll never get to see it because even if it's bad, I'd I'd like to see it. Uh, I mean, just the fact that it's there. Oh, I don't I don't want to go down this road again. He was asked, you know, would it, does he think he's going to return as, as Batman? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I have no idea. So now the other interesting thing, he was supposed to have a cameo in Aquaman two, but then because things were shifted, and I think. That was going to come out before Flashpoint, but then now it's the other way around. So then the speculation is maybe that's why they brought Ben Affleck in to, to do a Batman cameo for Aquaman 2. But now if it's flipped around again, I mean, who who knows? I, I don't even know what's going on. Does Warner Brother know, know what's going on? Who knows? Uh, Amazon has greenlit a Blade Runner series, so Blade Runner 2099. And... Uh, Silka Luisen is going to be the showrunner. Um, Silka Luisen did Shining Girls for Apple TV, which I need to watch that. I watched, I think, like the first episode. I know I watched the first episode. I might have watched the first two, but I also know that while I was watching it, I wasn't. It, it didn't have 100% of my my attention because I was like doing some other things on the computer or my phone or whatever. I did listen to the audiobook, and so I'm I'm, I'm curious to watch the show. So I need to do that. I just don't have any freaking time. With this new Blade Runner series, you know, it's 50 years in the future, so it's probably going to be, you know, obviously going to be new characters and all that. So we'll we'll see. I'm curious how that that's going to go. And hopefully it's going to be good because if I feel like it could get expensive, but you never know. Craven the Hunter is getting pushed back. So it was supposed to come out January 13th, 2023. Now it's moved to October 6th, 2023. And because of that move, I guess that's also making Madam Web move. So now Madam Web's coming out February 16th, 2024. So it's like, okay. And I, I don't know if what their exact reasons, but it kind of, it, maybe it's because, you know, Morbius didn't do so well. Venom didn't do so well. So, you know, maybe they're, they want to like try to tweak some things to make sure. Who knows? But I wish I wish them luck and success because you know I, I don't want to see bad movies and it's it's unfortunate I I didn't hate Morbius as much as like some people you know I don't wouldn't necessarily say it's like it's the worst movie of the year or, well I don't know about that I would say it's like the worst movie of all time but it's just I, for me it, it wasn't so much necessarily the movie it's just the character I just wasn't really I, I'm still not interested in the character and to try to make a movie. Just seems like such a weird, weird idea. I think making a movie for Craven is weird, but you know that there could be that could be interesting. And in the Madam Web stuff, I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but I remember reading that they're saying that this could be a heist movie, and the reason Dakota Johnson is you know young Madam Web because you know everyone's like is she Julia Carpenter or whatever, but there was some weird rumor that it's like a time heist or something like that. Or that that they have to try to protect a young Peter Parker because he's such a huge deal in the Spider Totem history, whatever. I have no idea. <laughs> that would just be weird, but we'll we'll see. 
um, Gotham Knights is has finally started officially started production. So it's still happening. I I don't know, man. That one trailer, I I really honestly don't know if I could bring myself to watch it because I just it did not look like it was for me, and I I really don't know. So we'll see. Lex Luthor is going to appear on Titan season four. I'm so glad this show is coming because I felt like there was it was in the limbo. It's like are they going to cancel it? This may be the final season, so I hope they they do really cool things and and you know take advantage of that. Or maybe maybe there'll be more, but I, I don't know. So hopefully everyone will watch it. Um, he's going Lex Luthor is going to be played by Titus Welliver. So he was uh, in uh, Bausch Bausch, which I never watched that show. So we'll see. And that's supposed to come out, I think, November of this this year. So that'll be cool. And then uh, the only other bit of news, which this is weird. And I, I've heard, you know, they, they've kind of talked a little bit about There's going to be a Constantine movie. Possibly. It's not, not official, official, official. But Keanu Reeves, it looks like he may be coming back to the, the character. He had mentioned before that he expressed interest and, in, in, you know, going back to it. But it just seems like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You know, the movie wasn't hugely successful. And it kind of feels like Warner Brothers is almost like going back to the, there could only be one version of the character. Now, yeah, we had the bat, we got the Joker. Well, though we only have one Joker, really, you know. So I don't know if they want to do that, but... It, because of the Justice League Dark or Constantine, whatever was happening in HBO Max, it seemed like Legends of Tomorrow was forced to stop using Constantine. So then Matt Reeves ended up playing like a totally different character, which was kind of weird and kind of a bummer, a huge bummer. So I don't know if that's what, what makes this even weirder is. So the, uh, Francis Lawrence is, would would be attached to it. He Francis Lawrence directed the first Constantine movie, and J.J. Abrams and like Bad Robot would be involved. But J.J. Abrams was working on like the Constantine HBO Max thing. I I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a problem, especially since there like everything is multiverse stuff these days. So I think people could understand that we could have different versions of the same character. Plus the fact that they just did you know Joker and you know whatever. So it'll be interesting if if it happens. But, you know, Keanu Reeves has wanted to do it. So fingers crossed, I guess. You know, hopefully it'll all work out. And hopefully you'll be sticking around because oh, there's a lot more show coming up. And that is it for the news this week. Uh, with comic books at Image. Um, so I'm kind of bummed. I, I didn't get a, a ch- I I don't know what happened to my, my week. It's like I was so overwhelmed. So Black Orchard uh, came out, uh, Black Orchard, Black Feathers. This is Jeff Lemire uh, and Andrea Sorrentino. Uh, the synopsis says, uh, from the acclaimed creative team behind Gideon Falls, Primordial and the Passaway, comes a new series in a bold and ambitious shared horror universe of the Bone Orchard. So there's that other one that, that we saw just like not that long ago. Uh, so Trish and Jackie are best friends and avid gamers. But when the line between reality and her fantasy world is blurred by an evil darkness, can they be the heroes of their own story? So 10,000 Black Feathers. Wait, did I say that? Black Orchard. Yeah, that's what it's called, 10,000 Black Feathers. 
um, is the newest entry in the Bone Orchard Mythos from Lemire and Sorrentino. The universe will feature self-contained graphic novels and limited series about the horror waiting to be discovered within the Bone Orchard. So, and this was a, I forget, I, I, I think it's like a 60-something page comic. I could be wrong about that. So I, I definitely need to, need to read that. Um, what's interesting is Last Shadowhawk, number one, uh, 3D special came out. I don't know if this is just the same exact one that just came out and that now it's in 3D. I don't know about that. Um, then there is Love Everlasting, number two. So this is a, the comic by Tom King and Elsa Chartierier. That's not how you say it. I'm sorry. This is, I'm, I'm intrigued with this. So, you know, it's kind of like a take on the old romance comics, but our main character, basically she's, it's almost like a groundhog day. And I, I hate to like reduce it to that, but like something's happening in, and, and well, it's not really that she's not repeating the same day, but she's going through different lives, like different romances. And then something's happened. And then really here, th this one is kind of harsh. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's almost like someone, it's almost like she, something happens to, with, with the romance, things go sour. She ends up dying or getting killed or something like that. Then she ends up in another romance. And, it's like what the heck is going on and and the fact that she's it i guess aware of this because with this story you don't really pick up on that so much and then at the end she kind of becomes like more aware so it's it's just really uh it's it's interesting and i just i really love the art i i think it's it's just there's something really cool about it seven sons issue four came out i didn't i didn't get a chance to read that I, i'm i'm intrigued with with that Righteous Thirst for Vengeance um, number 11 came out. And what's weird, I didn't realize this because I didn't even read the synopsis because I've been reading the comic. This was the last issue. And when you read it, then it's like the end. And it, it's a like a pretty firm uh, closure or whatever. Issue 10 had a pretty nutso ending. And I was just like, wait, did what I think happened just happened? And then this issue starts off 10 years later. So I'm like, wait, what? And so with this, it, it's a it's a really good, good conclusion. It's weird that it's only eleven issues, like not twelve or not eight, not I don't know. So this one, man, there because there's this one character in here, it's just like just major, you know, scuzzball, and it's it's almost just like makes you feel uneasy and uh, yeah. So it's 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 it was a really good series and just really weird and not what I expected. Seven to Eternity hardcover came out this week, if, if you've read it or not read it. So this is Rick Remender and Jerome Opeña. And uh, yeah, so 1 through 17 here. It's, it's 60 bucks. It's a hardcover. I haven't seen the hardcover. My, I, uh, I'm i sure, man, Jerome Opeña's art is just amazing. So yeah, you should definitely, you should track that down. Because that's something that I feel like it's not going to be in print forever. Because, you know, with that that price point and all that. So it's definitely probably worth, you should get that. And then uh, Silver Coin issue 14. This was a weird issue. So it, it's like there was a, some callbacks to like some previous story arcs. But there's there's a lot of like kind of reality in there you know there's a lot of stuff dealing with like the pandemic and covid and mass and toilet paper shortages and and stuff like that and we have these characters like you know this guy's like a screenwriter and i think his girlfriend is like an actress or something like that and just like them dealing with you know everything shutting down and and then there's like this horror aspect to it and at first i was like wait is this like the story that the dude's writing or whatever 
and then the the coin shows up and it's just like oh man and that's when things get really messy and this is like this this comic i i love michael walsh's art but man things just get so dark sometimes and it's just it's just like wow <laughs> so, so i I've, I've loved this series you definitely should be reading this if you're you're not at DC, there is Wonder Woman 971. So here, Wonder Woman, you know, she's, they're investigating some things. I'm trying to remember, it's like, I thought I skimmed through 790, but I feel like I, I missed something. And uh, yeah, it's okay. So I, I didn't love this issue, but it's, it's, I feel like it's getting more on track with get, bringing Wonder Woman like back uh, on you know, with, with what I would want, but it's, it's kind of interesting as you know, she's going undercover. She's not going undercover as wonder woman necessarily. You know, she's going to this factory and you know, she actually, she poses like, like a worker who's like, they're harvesting these, like these weird things, or these flowers or whatever. And, um, then there's like, I, I don't want to spoil things, but yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious. So I, I'll, I'll definitely try to, you know, get back on board with this. Then there's the flash, the fastest man alive. This is like a, a movie tie in official movie tie in comic. And I, the hard part, the hardest part for me is as you read this, you know, the likeness wasn't absolute, but I'm thinking it's like, oh, this is supposed to be Ezra Miller flash. And then I was, it, that kind of made me a little uneasy without, you know, I, unintentionally. So that makes me wonder, it's like, how am I going to feel when the actual movie came out? And I don't want to, I know we should separate, you know, the art from the artist, but just some of the things that Ezra Miller has been doing, I, I don't approve, you know, I, I just, it's a, it's, it's a turnoff. I, I, yeah. But anyways, with this comic, it's a, I don't know what it is about, but the movie adaptation comics or whatever, or I feel like, I feel like there's just, it's, it doesn't feel right. There's just something different. It doesn't feel like the, the regular characters. And in a lot of cases, you know, you don't have, the actual the regular writer like comic book writers they have someone else involved and sometimes it's it's whoever wrote the screenplay you know that that makes sense but with this it was um it was interesting i think the the other problem is not necessarily knowing a whole lot about the flash like where exactly is the flash and yeah we have you know justice league the snyder cut which i haven't watched that since it came out and i don't really want to but you know, Flash is a little, little more inexperienced. You know, but he's he's trying to fight crime and all that. And then he kind of gets to the point where he's like, "Oh, I need help," so he goes to Batman. It was it was all right. Uh, it was better than I thought. I'll I'll just say that. So, um, I, and I mean that as as an absolute compliment. <laughs> Superman, Son of Kal El, issue fifteen. Uh, this finally, you know, I, I I feel like we had some resolution in this big battle with bendix or whatever yeah i mean i i didn't i can't say that i loved it but we'll see what, what's going to happen after this i'm really curious how it's going to be when superman returns i mean it probably things shouldn't really change much are they still going to call jonathan superman you know they could you know we have spider-man and spider-man with miles morales but uh, I am Batman 13. I'm I'm enjoying this comic. You know, it's interesting seeing Jace Fox. And I love the fact that Renee Montoya is, is back and she's occasionally going out as a question. So, you know, they're, they're trying to get to, you know, to the bottom of the, like the corruption in, in New York and, and stuff like that. So I'm enjoying that. 
Uh, let's see, Gotham State 17 came out. I did not read that. Ooh, I missed this one. Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Wonder Woman number one. I, sh- I, w- I am curious with that just to, to see where they go there. Batman, oh, I, I didn't read this. I really wanted to read this. Batman Mystery Casebook Batman. Oh, no, Batman Day Special Edition. So that's not the full book, maybe. So this is a book by Chris Uminga, and I, I really I love Chris Uminga's artwork. You know, he's, I love his style, and I just wish I had like my own style that I could embrace. So I, I, I'm really curious about, about that book. Batman versus Robin, issue one. Oh, my goodness. So this was by Mark Wade and uh, Mahmoud Asrar. Just some crazy things happening here. And I don't want to spoil, I'm not going to spoil things, but, oh, man, I, I, I really don't know what to make about this because the, the one thing that happens, like, I don't want to get my hopes up. And it, things aren't fully explained, but they're kind of explained. And, you know, there, there are some magical characters involved. So that could be an easy solution. Uh, but we'll have to see. And then it's just weird that, you know, it's Batman versus Robin. So Damien is just like something's going on with Damien where he's like hardcore anti-Batman. You know, they're, they're, he's going, they're fighting each other basically. And Damien has recruited a couple uh, interesting people. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just, I don't know what's going on, but it's, I'm definitely intrigued with with that so you should check that out batman urgent urban legends 19 came out i didn't even crack that open so i'm not sure if there's anything good in there and then oh geez i thought i finished it i didn't read batgirls issue 10 either so i read less than i thought i thought i read everything from from dc so my apologies with that but then at marvel I didn't, and I, I didn't quite read everything. So, like Spider Punk issue five, this is the last book. Um, I was gonna at least skim through it, but I, I didn't even get to that. I wanted to like the book, but I just I felt like it started getting too cliche or too forced. You know, it's like trying to in, you know include all these punk tropes and whatever. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean. I grew up, and you know, I had a lot of friends that were like punk or borderline punk and everything. So I was, I was, I can't say that I was punk as much as I'd like to. I would say I was more like punk adjacent. You know, I never had a mohawk or colored my hair or had like you know wore leather or spiked studs, anything, all that. But I was immersed in like the the culture. You know, I had and it was just really had a lot of friends that you know were like that. So I, I love the fact that this comic exists. It's really embracing all of that. I think that is awesome. But it's it's almost like it's too much. The fact that like everything in this world is all like punk related, and it just it almost it starts to feel like a parody, and that's not how it should be. Because I I think there's like a real good opportunity to, to tell some cool stories and some cool characters, but something is just it was just a bit too much to and and you know maybe things lightened up got a little better because you know i haven't read like the last couple issues so i don't know and then there's a axe judgment day issue four i honestly can't even remember what happened in this this issue it's just it's all it is about like the the judgment so eros has has been eros was kind of like locked up star or eros star fox eros and they want to use star fox 
one of the things that bugs me is Star Fox's appearance looks a little different. I feel like they've made him a little more, I don't know if this is the right term, a little more gender fluid. You know, he's a little more effeminate. If I'm, I could be totally off with what I'm saying. You know, Star Fox was always, for me, the interesting thing was his hair. He had like these little two like horns almost like in his hair. But now they're, they're kind of making it a little more fluid. And I wonder if it's because of how he was presented in a, a certain mid credit scene, uh, which I'm sure that, that can't be a spoiler by this point. So anyways, he's he's back. I never really liked Star Fox because I thought he was creepy. The, the, the fact that he could convince people to like him. So it's like, does he ever, abuse, I hope he doesn't abuse that. But it's just all this, oh, I'm just so tired of just like everyone being judged and, and all that. So I just, I am not interested in this, this crossover. Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man issue nine. So this is actually continuing from like the X-Men gala issue where Mary Jane went there and then she was actually like kidnapped by, what's her name, Moira McTaggart. They're doing her evil schemes or whatever. You know, Spider-Man obviously wants to save her. So Spider-Man, Wolverine, you know, so it was all right. Captain Marvel, issue 41. So Captain Marvel is finally back on Earth. And, you know, there, there's still some some remnants of like this magic trial, you know, stuff with like Enchantress against Carol. And then there's a development with binary. You know, she makes a decision about something. So that was interesting. Uh, then we have Daredevil issue three. So this, I mean, I love this book. It's it's great. It's really weird the fact that everyone thinks Daredevil is dead, and you know Matt Murdock is like kind of okay with that, and he's he's preparing for this big battle against the Hand. And, uh, you know, I, what I've been wondering is like, well, the Punisher is leading the hand now in, in the Punisher comics. So it's like, are they going to have this big conflict? And so, yeah, there, there, there's definitely some some bad news coming for Frank in this issue. So, but it, there's something, yeah, I just, I'm really loving what Chip Stradarsky is doing. Then um, Edge of the Spider-Verse, I don't really remember anything about this. I remember reading the first one with Spider-Man of India, but the rest of these, yeah, I don't know. Then Iron Man 23, it's, things have gotten a little better. You know, I didn't like the, the space stuff, but now with Tony going undercover or, you know, they're trying to infiltrate and, and buy back all the, the evil, you know, all the tech that's being used for evil. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's okay. Midnight Suns, number one. So when you look at the cover, it's like, whoa, that's an interesting team. You know, you have Blade. You have the new new Ghost Rider. I forgot what the name, Ghost Rider. There's like some slight distinction. You see Magic on a cover, Wolverine. It's like, wait, what? Why is Wolverine there? Then you have uh, Miko and, uh, oh, then the, that one in the back, you can't tell who it is, but she's important for, for this issue. So it mainly takes place at the Strange Academy, and there's some stuff going on. And um, one of the students, there's this vision that's kind of like implicating her in something. So and, and people, of course, start freaking out. And um, Blade happens to be on on the campus, you know, doing little pep talks for the kids. And 
So people are like, at first they're a little like cautious because vampires and, but yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued with this. It's, I didn't like, I wasn't asking for this comic, but I'm, I'm curious where it can go. Then there's Ms. Marvel and Venom issue one. So this is continuing all the Ms. Marvel team up stories and everything. And I thought this was already over, but this is the last issue. Unless, unless there's another, you know, whatever development and something else happens. But th- this was interesting. I, I really like how Camilla, you know, she was a little cautious around Venom. And then, you know, things kind of shifted a, a bit. But I, I like the interaction they had and just the way she handled everything. Uh, I actually, I, I don't know. I, there's so many comics to read. And I actually took the time to read Predator number two. It's, it's probably because Ed Brisson is, is the, the writer. And, and I like Kev Walker's art. So we have this survivor of a, like a predator attack. And she's now she's basically hunting predators. So she ends up crashing this other planet. She's kind of stranded there. She needs to, you know, get to certain or try to get to this certain like outpost place and back, you know, so she can fix her ship. But with the cold weather and everything, you know, extreme temperatures, you know, that, that could be easily, it could, could cause some problems. And then uh, there's a, a, a hint of, I don't want to say too much about the predator that, you know, she, it turns out there is one here. And uh, so she's like, she wants to deal with it and stuff like that. Then there was Spider Punk, which I didn't read. Um, there's also. Ooh, Star Wars Bounty Hunter. I didn't even look at that. Uh, Star Wars Obi-Wan issue 5 came out. I passed on that. Venom issue 10 came out. I passed on that. And then the last issue, which is not a good one to end with, there's a X-Men Red issue 6. Some crazy things going on here. This is an Axe Judgment whatever book. But spoiler, Magneto like lost his heart. And he's just like kind of holding it together with his powers. Like just keeping you know just like laying on the ground or whatever so i don't know how he's gonna come out of this because he deleted his backup you know there, there's he doesn't want to have any backup and uh he's just using his power to like keep his blood pumping i guess you know like the irons in the blood and yeah so things things aren't um looking too too good for for magneto but hopefully someone will help that help out there and uh, hopefully, <laughs> I felt like, I don't know, I, I, I started like drifting off a, a bit, <laughs> which isn't a good thing. Oh, man, it's been a long week. But uh, that's going to be comics. All right, Rick and Morty, season six, episode two, A Mort Well Lived. So <laughs> when I started watching this, I'm like, what? wait, what's going on? I, I, was, I was a little confused. You see some kids are hanging outside a convenience store. And then, like, the owner comes out and is like, hey, you kids, don't do anything, you know, like that. But it's like they kind of sounded a little weird. And then Morty comes up looking really weird. You know, it's, it's like his eyes were, were just, uh, I was like, wait, what's going on? And then, you, you know, you're listening. It's like they all kind of have Morty's voice. And sometimes if you really think about it, you, you know, you, you can tell, like, when, you know, one voice actor is doing multiple roles. Or I was like, they, they all kind of sound similar when, you know, Morty's yelling and everything. And, and then there's like these flyers about you know being a grandson or something like that and this this dude roy he's like this is not a cult he's like we're in a video game and you're all my grandson morty he's like you know he says he's there to get him out and they're like am i your grandson he's like yes you're all your my grandson 
So he's trying to get them out of the video game. He tells them that they're with his sister and and him at an arcade called Blips and Chips, and it's been taken over by terrorists. The power went out, and the game restarted, and his identity has been splittered into all the non-playable characters. So Rick is jacked in as Roy because that's uh, the the game's like Roy, a, a life well lived or something like that, and uh, so that's the player character. So he jacked in as Roy to get you, my grandson Morty, out of the game before it's over and you die. And then they're like, oh, is there a question? Am I your grandson too? And he's like, yes. And it was like some lady in a wheelchair. Then um, Summer wakes him up and, and he yells. He's like, Summer, what are you doing? He's like, don't you know about time dilation? He's like, I'm losing a month per second out here. And she says that there's an army of aliens there in the casino. He's like, it's just a small group of terrorists. She's like, he says, just do a diehard. And she's like, what does that mean? He's like, sneak around, use air vents. He's like, you've never seen diehard? She's like, I'm 17, so no, I've never seen bleeping diehard. Rick's like, well, neither did a guy in diehard, so you're nailing it. Good luck. So then you see that this girl is in the, the bathroom. You know, she's wearing a yellow shirt, and she like cuts her hair short. Parents come out, you, you know, yell at her. She's like, oh, beautiful daughter. You know, you shouldn't have hair like that. And she's like, a daughter, or she doesn't like, you know, daughter does do this. And she's like, I'm not your daughter. I'm a grandson. And, you know, they all have Morty's voice. And they're talking about this this cult, there's a religion, and he's like, we're Jewish. And he's like, you, you don't even know a thing about Jewish, you know, because, you know, we weren't raised that way. And, and so it's clearly that everything, what they're saying is kind of, in a sense, coming from Morty's perspective. So, you know, he's making a conversation, but he doesn't know, like, the specifics of, of, of things. So we see Summer sneaking around. Terrace are, are, is, like, questioning this one employee about the location of their safe or something like that. And the leader's... He's like, well, if you don't tell me, I'm going to blow your brains out. And then this is a little tiny like shot. So he's upset because, you know, they're supposed to blow his head off. And it's just like a fine laser. He's like, what are we doing? Surgery here or something like that. So then he's like, go check on the other prisoners and make sure no one's doing a diehard. So it's like, wait, how does the, the, the aliens know about, about this? Inside the, the video game, there's like this band, you know, all the more, you know, they're all yellow shirts playing some song. And then, you know, Morty's. Uh, still trying to get people to listen or M Marta, uh, I think is, is the one. And so, you know, Roy's still trying to get people to listen. You know, he, he's saying that this is not a, a religion. He doesn't need people to write songs or whatever. Then like some police and like a tank and stuff come in. They're like, Oh, you're under arrest for using religion wrong. And then he's like, it's not a religion. He's like, all this, he's like, and you can do, don't have to do all this. And, you know, they're kind of talking and they all start doing, Oh, geez. Oh, geez. And, and then uh, Marta, she's, you know, she's really like explaining all this stuff and, and she's really good at convincing the others, whatever, that, you know, that they're really all just a kid named Morty who likes pizza and masturbation. And then Rick's like, there's my, I forgot what he, how he referred to her, but I mean, obviously this is the, the key to getting through to everyone. So we see Summer sneaking around. Alien comes and like shoots at her, and she kicks the, at the alien like this flying kick, and they both like fly off this level, and she lands on top of it. It's like a big splat with a bunch of blue goo, and she's like, "Oh my god, it's so disgusting!" And she's like, "Actually, it tastes really good. Oh my god, it's disgusting. It tastes good." And then, and in the big pile of blue goop, there's like a weird like little alien, but it's like a walkie talkie. And so it's like calling a Frank and it's asking him to report about what he found. So this evil leader, his name is Johns and Summer gets on the radio. She's like, break your breaker, walkie talkie. I got your walkie talkie, bitch. And John's like, are you doing a diehard? And she's like, maybe are you also? 
And he's like, more or less. He's like, am I associate Frank? Uh, your associate Frank is most definitely not doing a die hard. You might say he's doing a die easy because I killed him and it wasn't difficult. So he sends like, as he's talking, he sends like two aliens out. He's like, oh, it's not every day one meets a fellow diehard enthusiast, Ms. And she's like, just call me diehard. And then he asked her, like, what does she know about Die Hard? And she's like, what do you care? Are you writing a book about Die Hard? And he's like, well, as a matter of fact, I've written several. He's like, every sentient species across the galaxy eventually develops the same myth. In Centauri, it's known as Tower Man. And he's, like, talking about, like, some other places. And, and inside the game, there's this news report how their the religion, whatever it used to be known as grandsonism, it was being regarded as a doomsday cult. Now the world has accepted you know, what they like about pizza and masturbation and that their sister is out there fighting aliens. And so they become united. The world is one 14 year old boy. Marta's like talking to his, her father. Cause she, he shows up at like Roy's base or something like that. And, you know, I guess his, his mother died and, you know, he's just trying to deal with stuff. Um, alien tells Summer not to do. You know, she, he's like shooting at this table. He's like, "Oh, you shouldn't do a Die Hard under a long table like the guy from Die Hard." And then she comes at him from behind, and she shoots him. She's like, "Okay, I won't." So she wasn't even under the table or something like that. Then this alien goes up to John. He's like, "I thought you said she doesn't know how to do a Die Hard." And he's like, "She doesn't." Well, she's killing us off one by one. And John's like, "Well, what do you expect her to do? Buy us ice cream two by twos?" He's like, "She's improvising." So he says that. He's going to go through the arcade unarmed, and when she comes across him, he'll pretend to be a hostage. And because she hasn't seen Die Hard, instead of handing him an unloaded gun, she'll hand him a, then he gets shot. He's like, ah. And Summer yells, Die Hard, Die Hard, Die Hard. And he, on, on the walkie, you know, he's like, what the heck was that? And she's still like shooting, yelling, Die Hard. He's like, you can't just keep yelling, Die Hard. And she throws a walkie at him, and John's like, she must hate Die Hard, which makes her the ultimate McLean. So he tells this guy, he's like, forget everything you know about Die Hard. Just go and shoot her. In the video game, the president meets with Roy or Rick and Marta. The president really isn't like hearing their case. Marta says that he's like, Mar or she, she's like, Roy spent 50 years in here. And the president's like, oh, he's just playing a video game. So what's time or whatever. And it turns out that there's like an 8% that's not on board with Roy, Rick. And because this is voters or something like that. So Rick wants them all to get on the ships to unite all the pieces of Morty so they can fly off, get the edge of space, and then the game will reset or something like that, and they can be free. So they're getting ready to launch the ships or something like that. Marta, Morty, asks if he's okay with leaving 8% of him to die. And Rick, Roy, says, you know, it's like, oh, it's a pathetic 8% or whatever. And then, But then he's like, well, you know, 8% is nothing. You know, 8% of pizza is crust. <laughs> Eight percent of the Snyder Cut was Batman dreaming. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Uh, Marta says she's like, I don't know what that re reference is, and Marta says that she's not leaving with the without the other eight percent. And then there's like some other leaders on on monitors. They start questioning, and they're like, Well, I'm not going. I was just doing whatever. So Marta says that she's like, Well, I'll get every single one of them on a ship, but you have to tell us that you you love us. And there's like this pause. They're like, what does that even mean? What's that pause? You know, so a war has broken out over different factions of what they believe in in terms of, you know, of the video game, whatever. Marta and some others like break into Roy Rick's place. And he says, you know, you're my grandson and none of this is real. So what, what are you trying to accomplish? And Marta says that the only reason any of them matter is because they're pieces of Morty. Marta says that he taught them that, but he also taught them that he doesn't care about them. 
So they both, you know, they're like on the floor from like a little little scrabble or whatever. Then they both get up and point guns at each other. So Roy slash Rick says, here's how much I care about you. He's like, if you don't stop blowing up my flying saucers, I will exterminate every last one of you. And he's like, anything it takes. And then his finger extends into like Marta's gum and gun. And he's like able to like pull it out, out of her hands. And he's like, you know, what do I have to say? I love and respect you, okay? Marta's like, too late for talk, Rick. And then there's more fighting. And then it turns out that Roy, Rick, is actually robot. And she's like, oh, robot, of course. And he's like, well, I'm not dying in the game. It's, it's too much of a risk because he says something like if, if you died and, you know, you go brain dead or something like that. And Roy says, he's like, don't you even care about Summer? He's like, we have to go back and help her. And Marta's like, well, I'm sure wherever she is, she's probably fine by herself. And Roy, Rick is like, woof, jinx anyone? And then Marta shoots, shoots the Roy robot in the head. John's and the aliens are still trying to shoot at Summer. Then John's hears and sees like Rick and like Morty, like the whatever talking in, in the arcade. They're like hooked up to the arcade game. So then he is holding this little microphone, which is like the hooked up to the loudspeaker in the arcade. He's like, and I've got a special guest with me, Ms. Diehard, or should I call you this guy's sister? In the game, the word world is pretty much in shambles. People are, are still torn about which side to be on. Time is passing, so Marta actually has a daughter, and she tells her mom, she's like, I'm actually th I'm thinking about joining the other side. She said, I want to be in the real world with Roy and help Summer do her diehard. So Mar Marta's like, you know, she can't believe this, whatever. And then she starts talking with her dying father because he's in a hospital room. And, you know, he says that, you know, he doesn't want to be there. He wants to go out, too. And he he's like starts dying, and he's trying to, like, get in his last zinger, and he, like, barely, it doesn't really work. So then Marta sees Roy, and he says that you know he's been waiting as long as he can. He was hoping to get at least half of them home. So Marta has a change of heart, but she said there's just one condition. John's is still talking. says that he really admires Ms. Diehard, but now it's all come to an end. Summer um, comes in and puts her hands up. John says, I don't suppose you have a gun tipped to your back. And she's like, what does that mean? He says that that's how Die Hard ends. It doesn't matter now. So then she's like, Die Hard taped the gun to his back? That's the end of your perfect movie that you've patterned your whole criminal life after? And John's like, well, it seems to have worked out pretty well for me since you're the one about to die. And what was that that you said? Ah, yes. Walkie-talkie, Die Hard mother bleep. And she starts laughing. Why are you laughing? And she's like, because it's funny. You know, it's just the, the way you said mother bleep. And because it's like mother fuck. <laughs> she's like, but ah. then she's like it's just that and summer's like oh does that happen in die hard does john mcclain laugh and then hans gruber's confused and they start laughing together for a second john's like that actually does happen yes wait you knew their names this whole time no not this whole time just you left your book in the bathroom and i read it while i took a poop i mean mostly the ending so like the camera pans around and you see she does have a gun taped to her back so the mortys are getting out on the spaceships they start taking off and then slow motion, Summer is like reaching for a gun. Yippee, drippy doo, baby. <laughs> Rick wakes up and shoots out. She's like, oh, good timing, Grandpa. So the, the alien that she shot from the, the table before he comes up so he wasn't dead, he's like, oh, I just want to say, you know, getting shot like that, you know, had a, the near-death experience got me reflecting. He's like, I didn't used to be like this. He's like, I ate a kid. It was dark, and I felt bad. You know, I was like, I didn't know he was a kid. I haven't eaten anyone since. But now, and then he kind of, like, gets bigger. He, like, these tentacles grab John's, and then he just swallows him and then flies away, like, and busts through, like, this glass on the ceiling. 
And Rick's like, classic Tower Man, almost two on the nose, right, Morty? And Morty's like, uh, sure, I mean, whatever you say, Rick, you know best. I trust you implicitly. And Summer's like, is he all right? Rick's like, oh, yeah, he's fine. Got him all out every last piece. So then uh, this worker, like, I don't know if he's like security kid or something like that, alien. He's like asking others, like, what's with the jacked up Roy machine? And or he's like, where's, what are you doing? And he's like, ah, it's just a special order. Some rich douche wants a, his last game to keep running. So it's hooked up to an external battery. So they're just supposed to store it. And he says, the, the, the one first guy's like, or first alien's like, that's weird. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, the game's still going on, but Roy's dead. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, just just a corpse floating on the edge of outer space. But for some reason, the game won't restart because it's centered on some old lady living a full life, which is probably Marta. So then they like the guy wheels it into this big storage place. There's the other games. Like, is this the place? He's like, anywhere, just put it anywhere, and that's where it ends. So not like the best ending, but there is a the bit there's a snowy outside. You know, you, you see this alien with like a sandwich board that says like "I hate everybody" or something like that. These two aliens are looking down like on a mountain side with binoculars, and they're like, "Why isn't anyone attacking him?" The other's like, "It's, it's freaking freezing out." And the first like, "No, I think it's the sign or something like that." And the others like, "Well, the, the sign from Die Hard Three was clearly racist." And then they're like, "Who is it?" Because you know, it said something like "everyone" or something like that. They're like, "Who is that race or who did that offend?" It's like everyone. And then they're like, then they just go on. Then he's like, oh, I wish my brother was still alive. And that's where it ends. So, I, I, I mean, I did <laughs> I, I did really like all the diehard stuff. All the Morty stuff was just weird. And it's like everyone, you know, is Morty doing different things. But now it's like, what the heck is up with Morty? And I'm sure, you know, obviously there's going to be no continuation. But it, it, was, it, was, it was a fun episode. But... Die hard, die hard, die hard, die hard. Okay, then House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, season one, episode four. Oh, this. So this episode, I mean, last last week's episode was was pretty nuts with with the crazy ending. This one was was kind of nuts in in a different way. So it starts off, Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra is. She stands as someone's like talking about a castle. And so it's, it's like, you know, people are, are like auditioning to try to, hurt, to win her over. This dude, is, he's this older, he's like talking, saying all this stuff. He's like, oh, and I'll have this in the castle, this, whatever. And he has to stop to get like a drink of water. And uh, he says something like, how the view is, is beautiful. Then Rainera interrupts and she's like, she asks if he thought that her great grandmother was beautiful as well. And he's like, uh, well, this, that was a half century ago princess. And she's like, yes, it was. So she's basically implying that he's old and probably knew her great grandmother. So there's like laughter from people like standing around there. So then the dude, um, sitting next to her, I don't know if he, I don't know who this guy was, but he's like one of the King's council person, whatever. He's like, that was unseemly. And she's like, the man is older than my father it's unseemly for him to put himself forward as a contender for my hand. The dude's like next. And now it's like, a, a, she's like, and now a child. So this is this kid. And um, he makes his case, whatever this guy standing to the side makes a, keeps making insulting comments against him. Then she asks for the next so they, they can get to supper. And then um, swords are drawn. So the kid and this guy, they have their swords out and she's like, let's go. So they, they, they get out, they're walking out there and you hear ching, 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 and then, whoosh, and they, they turn around. The kids actually stabbed the older guy. And, and then the one guy's like, do, do not, do not look princess. So they, they get on their ship 
and she asks Kristan, Sarah, Kristan, whatever, how she thinks her father will take it, and because you know, she's cutting the tour two months um, before it's supposed to end, and then they like hear something, and she like looks up. There's a dragon coming. They're like, take cover. It like hits the ship's mast and like rocks them. She actually hits her head like on the side, but she tells Kristan that she's fine, and she stares at the dragon as it flies to. I, I'm assuming it was their, their castle. So the, the king like puts on his crown. He takes his sword. Knights come into the throne room. Rhaenyra enters, and someone's like, it's Damon. So the, the king sees her, and he's kind of surprised because she's not supposed to be there yet. Damon kind of saunters in. He has some sort of like, it's almost like a bamboo crown or something like that. And the, the, the king's knights, you know, he just like walks up towards the throne, and the two knights up there like draw their swords and hold them out. And he just like walks up, and the tip like kind of like hits, you know, touches his chest. And he has like this like, axe or something like that. Was, I th- at first I thought it was a sword, but it's more like an axe. And then he like drops it. He's like, add it to the chair. And the king's like, you wear a crown. Do you call yourself king? And Damon like, once we smash the triarchy, they named me king of the narrow sea. And the king just kind of like stares at him like, what are you talking about? And then Damon's like, but I know that there is only one true king, your grace. And he kneels and the king looks over at Otto and he's like, my crown and the stepstones are yours so the, the king kind of like politely smiles then he's like where's lord corley's and damon's like he sailed home to driftmark and the king asks he's like well who holds the stepstones and damon's like the tides the crabs the two thousand dead triarchy corsairs he's like stake to the sand to warn those who might follow so the king approaches and looks at like the bamboo crown and he hands it to like another and damon um looks up at him and he's like softly he's like rise so then he puts his hand on his shoulder and damon puts like his head on, on the king's shoulder and they all applause and they're like hugging whatever the king is like the realm owes you a great debt brother and then he like leads him out there's kind of like this banquet outside you know there's some food and it's, you know people are there king and damon are, are talking with like with allison whatever and they're, they're talking about like oh no you were mother's favorite no you were whatever stuff rainier approaches and, uh, you know, the king and Damon are, are still going on and on about, like, traditions and different stuff like that. Then Rhaenyra says, congratulations on your victory. And the king kind of, like, side stares at her. At first I was like, is it for because she interrupted? But it, no, it's, it's probably because she's not supposed to be there yet. Then Damon's like, thank you, princess. And there, there's a slight awkward s- silence. And Alicent finally says, perhaps Damon would like a tour of the gallery. He hasn't seen the new tapestries gifted to the king. And the king asks Damon, he's like, do you want to see the tapestries? And there's like, he kind of laughs about it. And it's like, has he been drinking? It seems like he's drinking a lot, you know, then laughingly, um, he's like, he has no interest in those things. And Rainier says that she'd like to see them. And the King's like, then you should not deprive yourself. And she's like, I shall enjoy them alone. And the King asks for like more wine. So Rainier, Rainier goes off, but then she just like sits on this bench. Allison sees her and uh, goes over and sits by her says that she surmises the tour didn't go well with with the suitors. Rhaenyra says that she endured it as long as she could. And Alicent mentions, you know, having every young knight and lord in the seven kingdoms fawning over you. She's like, what misery. And Rhaenyra just like kind of looks at her. Alicent continues saying, it's rare for girls in this realm to get a choice between two suitors, no less two scores of them. Rainier says that those men and boys, they don't fawn over her. They only want her name and her Valerian blood for their offspring. Alison says that she thinks it's rather romantic. 
And she's like, you know, how romantic, and, and Rainier's like, how romantic it must be to be in prison in a castle and made to squeeze out airs. And then it's a kind of like awkward silence because that's what, what's happening to Allison. Then Rainier is like, sorry. And she, I, I think she takes her hand. They, they don't really show up, but her, she kind of moves. She, I think she's just like, like sorry. Um, then Rainier finally asks, like, how angry is he? And Allison says, well, the king went through great effort to arrange your tour. He is frustrated, but she is glad that she's home. And she says that, you know, she has few friends lately. She's like to believe that she, she wants to believe that she's still the lady Allison, but now all anyone sees when they look at her is the queen. And Rhaenyra says, she's like, I've missed you too. And then this time you, they showed it, you know, they, they take hand, they hold each other's hands. So then Damon is staring at the sky. Rhaenyra says, like, in their, I don't know, this is a bad thing. And some people are like, oh my gosh, you know, they're talking about their other language. It's a dragon language. Uh, how's, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> She's like, you seemed so content on Dragonstone. Why did you come back? There is surely no more to your return than simply taunting my father. Then in English, you know, she asks, she's like, what do you want? And he says, only the comforts of home. And she says that she thought that he wasn't particularly comfortable in his home. And, you know, he did, but he does seem changed from his adventure. He's more mature, perhaps. And he says that she's matured herself these last four years. He says that, you know, she'll get used to the attention. He says, the, you know, or she says that the attention she can endure, it's the rest that she can do without. And, you know, her father seems content in selling her off to whichever lord has the biggest castle. And he says, well, there are worse things to be sold off for. Then in their other language, it's like marriage is only a political arrangement. Once you are wed, you can do as you like. And she says, for men, it might be a political arrangement. For women, it's like a death sentence. And he's like, well, if that were true, then I'd be rid of my bronze bitch ages ago. And she says that his wife is lucky that he hasn't put a child in her. And she says that you know, her mother was made to produce heirs until it killed her. So she won't subject herself to the same fate. And he says, well, what happened to your mother was a tragedy, but this is a tragic world. And, you know, he says something about like, like living your life in fear or whatever. She says that she has no desire to live in fear, only solitude. And he's like, well, that's a lonely prospect. The king is then told uh, the stepstones were supposed to be for the realm, but it seems that they've traded a crab feeder for a sea snake. So this is clearly a rebuke for passing over Lady Lena for Queen Alicent. So when the king was supposed to marry a little 10-year-old or 12-year-old or whatever, king says, he's like, that was ages ago. He still can't be mad. And grandmaster dude says that he's a proud man. Corlys is a proud man, and his pride has been injured. Otto says that, you know, he doesn't mean to cause more concern, but Lord Corlys has begun negotiations with the Sea Lord of Bravos. So he plans to wed his daughter, Laena, to the Sea Lord's son. If House Valerian entered into an alliance with the free cities, then they would have to see to their own marriage pact. And Rainier is just like sitting there quietly. So then the queen, we see her, she's like in a room, she's like rocking her crying child. Rainier goes to her room. She says goodnight to Kirsten, Kristen, who's like guarding outside her room. She sees like a bag of old clothes on a chair and there's a note uh, or like a map or something like that. And then, you know, she looks at, at the where you know it's like in a room this wall she moves this chair and there's like the secret door there 
So she goes out in the old clothes, like, you know, pants and a suit and like this hat. She follows this path. There's like torches and candles and stuff like that. Then she finds Damon, like kind of wearing like a hood, like a cloak. They walk down these back stairs. She's like, where are we going? Whatever. They're walking through the city. It's night. People are up to like debauchery. You know, they're drinking and doing other things and whatever. This dude kind of bumps into her and he's like, fudge out, boy. And she's like, he called me a boy. And then Damon uh, like gives her this little leather flask of alcohol. It's like really strong. You know, we see the king getting a bath and it's like he has more sores. I don't know what. I'm not an expert on the time. I don't know what his lesions are from, if whatever. But it's a kind of sword. And the queen, she's like, I'll, I'll let me do, allow me. And then she dismisses the maidens to, for so she can finish. And the king's like, you have a far kinder touch than they do. In a town, they're watching the state, the stage show. It's talking about the king's throne and naming his daughter's heir. It's basically making fun of him or anything like that. And then, like, the crowd boos. Then he has a child, a son. You know, who will it be, the brother, the daughter, or the princeling that's three years old or whatever? Damon kind of looks at Rainier as she's watching. And uh, there's one – I think when they mention, like, Rainier, she kind of boos at her or whatever. And Damon's like, oh, just if you will. But there are many who feel Aegon, her little two-year-old brother or whatever, should be heir. And she's like, well, their wants are of no consequence. He says, well, they're of great consequence if you expect to rule them one day. And they're like, then they're like walking down like the, one of the streets, and she takes some food from this vendor. And Damon like says, "Is like and out here, you pay for that, whatever." So she like throws it back, and he calls like street rat or something like that. And then the vendor's like, "Hey, whatever," and you know, because Rainier runs away. Damon's like, "Well, I'll, I'll get him." And so she's like running down you know different alleys and streets, and then there's like this knight, and he kind of like stops her. He's like, oh, "Who are might you be running from?" And she says his name, and then he like he sees princess, whatever. And she's like, "Don't." So he's like, "Okay, you know." He's like, "We'll see. I'll see you later," or something like that. And then you know he lets her go, and, and she keeps walking. And then and then she you know Damon catches up to her. Uh, at Allison's, you know, there's a knock on the door. Handmaiden says the king has requested her presence, and she's like, "The hour is quite late," and they're like, "Yes, your grace." So then. She's in bed with him. She's just laying there as he's do 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 do, and she's obviously she's just like not into it at all. The more debauchery, just, you see like naked dancers, and they, they go into this building, and Damon like takes her hat off, which is like now uh, you you can see her hair, you know that that kind of stands out. Uh, there's a lot of people lying about, and she's like, "What is this place?" And he says, "It's a place where people come to take what they want." And there's lots of um, uh, group activities going on. <laughs> Damon says that it's a pleasure as much for a woman as it is for a man. Then they're they're like kind of close. They start kissing. It's like, wait, what are you doing? And then it kind of cuts to the king, the and queen, whatever. And you know, the, the talk of marriage is a duty, yes, but that doesn't stop us from doing what what we want or something like that from fudging who we want then they start like really going at it like making out and then he starts like he kind of like starts pulling away a little bit and she like moves to kiss him and he like kind of moves you know back and then he like gets frustrated and he like stops and i think he like kind of like pounds on the wall and he leaves at first i'm just like what what is going on because so why why is he doing this with her and then when she's like reciprocating then he's like is he pulling back because he knows this is not right 
But looking or when you watch the end thing where like the creators and everything talk about it, apparently he kind of became a little impotent at this. And because maybe deep down he's like, this is my niece and this isn't right. But whatever. So that's why he got frustrated. So I think he I don't know. I think maybe he would have done something. Maybe he wouldn't have. But he probably would have. But then he, it's like he couldn't or maybe he forced himself. I, I feel like I'm dwelling on this way too long. So he, like, leaves. So then, you know, she puts on, like, the rest of her clothes. You know, she wasn't, you know, she still had, like, mo- most of her stuff, like her shirt and whatever. And uh, then, you know, she, like, walks out and this, like, this kid looks at her or whatever. Because, you know, he's, like, out out, out on, like, the, the streets again or whatever. So then she walks to her, her room. You know, she's back at the, at the, at the castle. And Kristen's, like... Kristen is like confused. He's like princess because he saw her when she went in, and then wait, he she never left because she went out through the secret door. So then you know through the door he's like he kind of like knocks. He's like, "Are you hurt?" And then he's like, "I'll alert high command." And she opens the door. She's like, "No." And then she like, grabs his helmet. He's like, "May I have my helmet back?" And then she kind of like moves deeper into her room. You know, he like reaches. She holds it out to him, but then when he reaches for it, she like pulls it back. Then um, she closes the door, and he, when he kind of gives up, he's like, okay, whatever, you got my helmet. I'm going to go back out there. Then she holds it out again, and then she kisses him, and she, like, drops the helmet. And then she starts, like, opening his, his shirt or her shirt, and he's like, stop. And then she starts taking off his armor, like his arm things, and then cont- and oh my god, this has was been like like fifteen minutes to untie all the laces and stuff like that. He's hesitant, but like, he can't resist because you know he's obviously he's been wanting to do this too because they spent so much time. And this is like for an immediate, you know, it seemed like there was some like some attraction, or whatever. And he, you know, he kind of like looks at the door and he thinks, and then they continue disrobing, and then dun dun dun, they go at it. Otto is told that there's a messenger brings word from the white worm. And I was like, wait, what? He goes out to opens a gate and there's, there's a kid there. And I didn't make the connection at first, but it was a kid that was outside the, the pleasure place. So Damon wakes up and I, I think is his, his girlfriend, whatever. And she's like, Oh, you're lucky. I'm your protector. And he's like, oh, I don't need protection from a common whore. And she's like, I'm no common whore. She's like, I left that life behind. And she's like, I've learned that the skin trade can only take me so far in this life. And then she starts to leave, whatever. And she's like, you can pay for the room on your way out. So somehow he ended up there, like probably drunk and passed out. Otto goes to the king's chambers and he apologized for the early hour. He's like, I have some discomforting news. I wanted to share it before the council convenes. He's like, I'm afraid it concerns a princess. And the king's like looking at Otto. He's like, has she been harmed? And Otto's like, it's a no easy thing to tell a father of his daughter's exploits. And he's like, what has she done? The princess was spied last evening beyond the walls of the keep in a pleasure house. So this is the kid that whatever was out there. And she was carrying on with her uncle. They were engaged in behaviors unbecoming of a maiden, of a princess. And there's like a pause. And the king's like, what behaviors? Well, must I say it, your grace? You enter my bedchamber accusing my daughter of something? Now speak it plainly. Damon and Rhaenyra were seen together in the bowels of a pleasure den. And Allison is like actually listening for the other room. Otto's like, says, coupling. And the king's like, this is a lie. You've been lied to. Which, it's not the truth. They, 
I don't know who said that they were coupling, but there's no way that kid saw it because the kid was sitting outside on the stairs, like on a, on a path. Um, Otto says that he wishes were true, and the king is like, "Who's responsible for, for for the gossip?" He's like, "He he, I want the rumor monger brought before me at once. I will take their eyes." And Otto says that as his hand, capital H, he must maintain trusted sources of information. This one has never led him astray. And several of the servants have now admitted to seeing her creeping through the gates from King's Landing, disguised as a page during the hour of the owl. The king asks, he's like, are you so focused on ambition that you'd have my daughter stalked and spied upon, you know, waiting for your best chance to destroy her reputation? And Otto's like, I have no such intentions. And the king asks if he wishes to have his blood on the Iron Throne so badly that he's willing to destroy his own. He's like, just, just get out. And so then Otto leaves. And then Allison comes out, and the king just like walks by her. Rainier is in a room combing her hair. There's a knock on the door. It's Kristen. And she's like, oh, come in. But then he like stays by the door. He's like, I have a message from the queen. So Rainier goes outside by that big tree. Um, you know, Allison is, is standing there. And she's like, what happened last night? And Rainier's like, what do you mean? She's like, your father may, or she's like, Allison says her father made some worrisome allegations against her. She's like, were you with your uncle? And she's like, I haven't seen him in years. You know, he took me into the city for some fun. Tell me the whole of it, Rhaenyra. She's So she's like, your father accused me of something? That I drank wine? That I left the castle after dark? That you slept with Damon in a pleasure house? Rhaenyra just like stares. She's like, that is a vile accusation. Is it? Allison says, you Targaryens do have queer customs and Damon certainly knows no limits and then Rainier is like Allison sister your grace you must know that I would never you cannot believe such gossip and Allison's like my father's no gossip Rainier says certainly he's been misled he could not have witnessed such a thing why not because it did not happen and then she's like he was told that you and Rainier's like told who made these claims to your father i am the princess to question my virtue is an act of treason allison says that she doesn't know specifically your father did not tell you and then she's like he reported to the king i overheard rainier is like so you are accusing me of slanders you overheard and Allison says that she just wants to help her. Rainier says that they drank in a tavern, several taverns. It was getting late. She asked to go home, but Damon wished to continue. As he was her escort, she had no real choice. And Allison's like, continue in a brothel. She says that he took her to her show, that you know, she was only a spectator, she didn't do anything, and then Damon sank into his cups and abandoned her for some horror. She you know, she should have known better. So you did not? And Allison's, or Rainier is like, must I truly refute that? Damon never touched me. She's like, I swear to this, to you upon the memory of my mother. And if you think about that, you know, they did kiss, but I'm trying to think, did they really touch or anything? Allison says that it was a foolish to place herself in a position where virtue could even come into question. And then like, they were kind of holding hands at this and they like let go at, at this so, like, no, I guess no one would see them holding hands. It would just be kind of weird, I guess. Allison says that the king has strived to find her a good match, and so has she. So, you know, that they, you know, she should be, like, finding someone to marry. Damon walks in, like, all disheveled, you know, into the town, whatever. Then he's brutally grabbed. 
and it's like the king demands an audience and he's like take your fudging hands off me but you know he's like no condition to fight off anything so then he's like dumped in front of the throne he's like on the floor the king walks in you know he's still on the ground and he's like my daughter won't you even deny it and damon's like he's like i need to know to charge the charge before i can discredit it and the king's like, you defiled her. He kicks, kicks, you know, Damon on the ground. He's like, oh, he's like, still you say nothing. And Damon's like, what does it matter, brother? He's like, when we were her age, we fudged our way through most of the brothels. And the king's like, we were young men. She's just a girl, your niece. And Damon's like, she's a woman grown, better her first experience with me than some whore. The king grabs him by the lapels. And then he's like, you have ruined her. What lord will wet her now in this condition? And Damon's like, who gives a fudge what some lord thinks? You are the dragon. Your word is truth and law. The king says that he spent a lifetime defending him, but his heart is even blacker than he thought. He's like, I should disinherit her as I already did you and be done with it. Damon, then he says, wet her to me. When I offered up my crown, you said I could have anything. I want Rhaenyra. And he's like, I'll take her as she is and wed her in the tradition of our house. King's like, you're already wed. And Damon's like, that didn't stop Aegon, the conqueror, from taking a second wife. You are no conqueror. You are a plague sent to destroy me. So he says that it's not his daughter that he lusts, it's his throne. So he tells him to go back to the Vale to his lawful wife. You know, try to restore uh, what you know, scrap of honor that you still have, or don't. It matters not as long as you are gone from my sight. So Allison hands the king a drink. He's in his chambers. She asks if he's spoken to her. He's like, no. And he said, she says that she's not. It's not in Rainier's nature to be deceitful, and. She's like, I cannot say the same for your brother. And he's like, you believe he lied? Allison's like, how often does he speak the pure truth? And King's like, how does confessing to such a thing serve him? Allison says, by reducing you. King's like, well, whatever transpired, Rainier is not innocent. Allison says that she, is that only because Damon tried to corrupt her? He says that they shared the blood of the dragon, they are restless and chaotic. And Allison says that she swore to her that she remains a maiden and she believes her. So, mm, okay. Rainier is escorted to the king's chamber. She sees like this dagger, like sitting in this fire pit and she's looking at it and she like reaches for it. And the king kind of startles her by saying that that, that dagger belonged to Aegon the Conqueror before Aegon's death. The last of the pyromancers hid his song in a steel and there's like writing on the heated blade and she reads it from my blood come the prince that was promised and his will be the song of ice and fire the king says that the responsibility i have handed you the burden of this knowledge it is larger than the throne the king it is larger than you and your desires so then he's like jaharis would have disinherited you and she's like for a lie you've yet to ask me the for the truth of what happened and King's like, the truth does not matter, Rainier, only perception. You have exposed yourself. Now we must both suffer the consequences. And Rainier's like, were I born a man, I could bed whomever I wanted. I could father a dozen bastards, and no one in your court would blink an eye. And the king's like, you are right, but you were born a woman. So then she's like, so you'll strip me of my titles and, my, and name Aegon in my stead? And he's like, I would. But it is mine to hold the realm together, not to sow it in with further division. Your courtship is at an end. You will wed 
Ser Lenor Valerian, and you will do so without protest. And she almost like gags. She's like, the son of the sea snake? So I can be a remedy for our political headaches? You are my political headache. He's like, the wedding will unite the two most powerful houses in the realm. With the combined strength of our shared dragons and naval fleets, no one would dare stand against us. The house of the dragon will stand as one for further generation. And what will you do about the vulture who perches upon your throne? And he's like, what vulture? And she's like, your hand. King's like, Otto Hightower has served two kings loyally and faithfully. She says that he wants Aegon to be named heir, and he will stop at nothing to see it done, including spying on me to bring about my ruin. You speak of the conqueror's vision and the need for strength and unity across the realm, but how can that be accomplished with your most trusted advisor so self-interested? He says that everyone who calls on him and his council and council's past have been self-interested. It's unavoidable. She disagrees. Says that she will do her duty as heir and wed Sir Lenor, but he must do his duty as king. So Otto is called to see the king, and he's like, five days. I'm sorry, your grace? King said it, that it was some time ago, and the memory fails him. You know, his father was hale and a healthy warrior and a dragon rider at his peak. You know, there's a big hunt. It was called, and then five late, days later, his, his father lay dead. Otto says that he remembers it was a grim day. The king says, but it was a good day for him. Jaehaerys named him Hand, and Otto says that he saw it as a duty. The king says that he served his, his grandsire nobly in his final days. And, you know, he, he, he is the man that taught him how to be king. And he, then he's like, just five days. You know, he went from behind another man in Jaehaerys' court to the second most powerful man in the realm. Then he's like, how long did it take to choose, you know, yourself over your king? He's like, your grace? He says that, you know, he will never recover from Emma's death, his, his other queen, but Allison, she took him through the worst of his grief. She was a calculated distraction. He only now realizes how well calculated it was. Otto says that he's like, this is an absurdity. He's like, the queen loves you, and I know you love her. The king says that Otto's interests are they no longer align with those of the realm. His judgment has been compromised. A loyal hand must tell his king a discomforting truth from time to time, your grace. If he doesn't, he's failed as a servant. The king says that he was a faithful servant, and then he like take this pin off as like his chest or whatever. He says the crown and the realm both owe him a debt that can never be repaid, but he can no longer trust his judgment. And it is, I mean, it is true. You have to admit it. Why is the queen being spied upon? You know, there, there's that. He's like looking for something. I don't think he's concerned about the king's best interest or her best interest. And plus the fact he kept telling Allison, you must go to the king's chamber. You must go, you know, keep him company, keep him company. Because he wanted her, it worked. So then a grandmaster knocks on Rainier's door. And he's, he says that he took great care with its preparations. You know, he's got like this little bottle thing and he puts it down. And he's like, if not brewed properly, it can either prove ineffective or else bear unpleasant. And she's like, brewed properly? She's like, I'm sorry, what is that? He's like, a tea, princess, from the king. It will rid you of any unwanted consequences. And then he just like leaves and she just sits there. So it's, uh, I assume it's something that would cause her to have an abortion in case she was pregnant. So it's probably like their version of the morning after pill. So she's basically left there. It's like the, my dad thinks I actually slept with my uncle. 
But the thing is, she didn't. She did sleep with Kristen. So I had no idea if she's going to drink. It, it, what, uh, yeah, so that's where the episode ends. But it looks like she's going to be getting married to the Coralise's kid, son. So we'll see what happens next. But that was kind of kind of nuts. A lot of tension there. <laughs> so we should be thankful we don't live in those times. Because we get to listen to this podcast. And they didn't have this podcast back then. All right, with The Patient, Season 1, Episode 4. Actually, this is this is a limited series, right? So Episode 4, Company. I'm, I'm still in, enjoying this. And I, I do think the half-hour format, you know, I, again, I, I, I don't want to keep you know beating a dead horse saying this each time. But I'm just a big, big fan of it. And I, I think it accomplishes a lot. And well, anyways, let's just just get to it rather because I've already said it so many times. So it starts off Alan's sitting in the bed. So it picks up from the last episode. You remember that Sam brought a body home. He's like, you're going to kill this guy. And, and Alan's like freaking out. So he and he's trying not to freak out. You know, he's just sitting there after, you know, he, he watch him drag someone in. You go take one into the other room. He's like, you know, tied up and everything. And his, his head, his face was covered or, you know, so he's he starts thinking of him like out after after sessions and everything like that then he like well, at one point he had asked him if he liked being married alan keeps looking at the door and because like at one point you know sam talked about going to kenny cheney concerts or something like that and how they're like really happy or whatever like that he he has a, a memory of him saying that you know he told me he was a transport supervisor in a warehouse but he's really a restaurant inspector with the department of health because you know he figured that he'd put that in his notes so you know he didn't want that to come out because obviously you know if what I, I didn't really think about so much was the fact that Alan was kidnapped. The police got to be wondering, like, where is he? You know, do they do they think he just left? Because his kids got to be wondering. So they must assume that he's been kidnapped. At, at you know, something has happened to him. So they're probably like looking all over his office and and, and stuff like that. So then the door opens. Sam comes downstairs. He, he was uh, upstairs. And then he's like, you said to uh, tell you before I did it again. He's like, well, I was going to do it. And he's like, I, I never stopped myself you know, once I started. And he's like, and I, I don't bring people back here. But you, know, you said to talk to you first. So then Alan's like, well, let's sit. So he's he's like I'm about a half second from going over there, and then he like pounds his fist like on a table, like knocks over like Alan's like paper cup with a pen. He like picks it up, and you know he's he feels bad or whatever. Then Alan says that they, they talked about protecting his mother in moments like this. You know, did he think? And Sam's like that didn't work. He's like I told you my father messed me up, and he says that you know I you need to fix me or and Alan's like. Well, we should try something else. He's like, you know, maybe some physical distance. Go to work, and because this is like the morning of the next day. He's like, go to work and you know try to have a regular work day. And he's like, you know, you don't want to call in sick on a day when someone has gone missing. You know, that could look suspicious. Sam's like says that well, they they like him there, and you know he doesn't want them to see him like all kind of like riled up like this. He's like, I, I can't just go to work. And Alan's like, you can. He's like, if you need to, just call your mom, and you know she could you know put me on the phone for a phone session. So then Sam just leaves. And Alan looks over the, the, the door and he's just like, fudge. But he doesn't say fudge. And then, you know, Sam sits in his truck. He's, then he, he leaves. Then the, the dude whispers. So his name is Elias, according to closed caption. You know, he introduces himself later. He's like, he's like, please, I haven't done anything. Where am I? And Alan's like, I can't do anything. I'm chained. He's like, you know, I've been here for days. He's like, there's someone upstairs. And then, and you know, the mom comes down. She looks at Alan. She's, she's like, I think he feels terrible. He really wants to do what you said. 
then Alan's like, I, th- I think, you know, you should tell me what happened with this father. And she says that, you know, she can tell him all about it, but she doesn't think it's going to give him the answers to why he's done what he does. You know, he was always just Sam. Sam arrives at work, you know, outside, and it turns out he forgot the donuts. So, you know, it's his week, so he has to go and get them or whatever, because, you know, a couple of his coworkers are like, oh, you know, Mr. Punctual is late. And so back at the house, Elias is talking to Alan, because, you know, mom went back upstairs, and he's like, you know, who was that? He's like, who, you know, who are you? So Alan's like, I'm his therapist, and he thinks that maybe I can convince him not to kill both of us. Elias is like, well, you know, he won't kill you because, you know, you're his, his therapist. But he, he's like, and well, Alan's like, he, you know, he doesn't ex- exactly respect the, the patient-doctor relationship. So it you know, doesn't necessarily mean he's safe. Then we see Sam's like in this meeting, you know, like a board or like a staff meeting. And he got a compliment for a letter from after an inspection. So then like the boss like wants to read. He's like, you you heard about that or, that or something like that? And he's like, yeah. And he reads it. And you can see that the Sam seems like a little unsure what to do. You know, maybe it's the praise or the compliments or something like that. At, back at the house, Elias calls out. He says he's scared. He talks about, you know, if he just disappears, his poor parents, whatever. And he's like, you know, I can't see. He's like, my face is covered. He's like, I can't move. He asks Alan if he's blindfolded. He's like, no. He's like, but I'm chained to the floor. He already said that. And he's like, are you cuffed? You know, can't you knock him out or something? And Alan's like, he was like, well, I'm not young or whatever. He's like, but the police should be looking for me now. And you know, he talks about his, his, his kids. You know, he has a son and daughter. You know, they, they will be concerned. And he says their name. And the guy's like, oh, interesting name. And Alan's like, yeah, it's Jewish. He's And he's like, my, my wife is a cantor, or she was. And she died a few months ago from cancer, which we, you know, we, we kind of got a hint of that in one of the flashbacks. He says his, you know, his son was so dutiful. You know, things were complicated between him and his mother. You know, they were so enmeshed when he was a kid. And then he became Orthodox, which, you know, like an extreme Jew. It was like very religious. And Elias, he's like, well, I don't believe in God. And then the door opens upstairs. Candace comes down with the phone saying that he wants to talk to him. And, you know, she, she puts him on speakerphone. She's like, I didn't charge a phone last night. You know, I didn't think about it. So Sam says on the phone, he's like, I think I need to come back and do it now. And Alan's like, if you come back, then, you know, you you have some choices. And his mom's like, I said the same thing. And Sam's like, says to her, he's like, he's like I don't have a choice. He's, and he's like, you know, why don't you understand? So the phone keeps beeping that it needs to be recharged. And Alan's like, you know, what'd you do today? And Sam's like, well, I just finished a staff meeting. You know, I'm supposed to be finishing some files, but I'm just staring at the paperwork every time. You know, I, I look at, at Kyle, it just gets worse. So I think um, Alan's like, is, is that your supervisor? And Sam's like, yeah, he's the one that sent me back to the restaurant. And Alan says, you know, well, it all makes sense. You know, this is the point he needs to try to push through. The phone keeps beeping, whatever. So it's like, it's, it's going to drop out, right? Alan says that it may not seem like it, but he's doing very well. The fact that he's staring at the paperwork is progress. So he wants him to stay at work until the end of the day. And then he's like, I got to go. So Candace goes upstairs and Ellie's like, what was that? He's like, I couldn't really hear. And he, sa- he says that it sounds like he's going to kill him. Then he asks Alan if he'll get a message to his family if he kills him. He's like, he's like he tells him about the restaurant. And Alan's like, it's like, oh, is that the place with the, the patizio, whatever? And he's like, yeah. He's like, that was my recipe and blah, blah, blah. So Alan writes down what he says. All he says, like, mom and dad, I love you. <laughs> And then Alan thinks back to like this big family dinner. His wife gives like some grandkids like this big dessert or something like that. But I guess I said I don't know anything that much about the Jewish religion. But then his sons, I guess they they couldn't have 
that dessert or something about it. And, and the son just kind of glares at her. And then he gives him like some plain dessert from like Tupperware. So I was like, did she do this on purpose? Like, I don't know. So then it's night. Sam comes home. Alan's like waiting in the chair. And he, he tells Elias to, to be quiet when, because he, he's like, did he come back? She's like, yeah, be quiet. Sam walks in with like a, a coffee. <laughs> it's again, it is clearly empty. I don't know why they don't put liquid or anything in there, but it's like they're supposed to have a coffee in there. And he also has like a box. So he, he plugs something into an outlet, like outside the door, and he unlocks the back door and he, he puts the little device in there. It's, it's like a white noise machine. And he closes the door. He sits down. He's like, nothing's working. And Alan says that he's not sure about that. And he's like, you're just going to tell me to, to go into work every day? It's like, it's a dumb idea. All he did was think about it. And he's like, which I knew would happen. Alan says that he controlled himself all day. And Sam says that he didn't want anyone to see him worked up. Alan says, well, you know, this is uncharted territory for both of us. He's like, we'll have to. Then Sam gets up and says, it's, it's time. Alan's like, well, wait. He's like, sit down. And Alan asks if he saw him when he took him. He said he didn't, when he was taken, you know, Alan didn't see Sam. So Sam's like, no. Then Alan says, well, maybe that was intentional. You know, you, you gave yourself the option to let him go. Sam says, he's like, no, this one deserves it. And Alan says that, you know, he's resisted this impulse, you know, with him for a long time. He's like, four months. He's like, that's incredible. Sam's like, I got to do it now. And Alan Lully's like, like, stop, stop, stop. He's like, go see your ex-wife. He's like, go to a concert with her. He's like, does she live around here? He's like, go see her. And he, he's like, go see her right now. And he's like, well, they're, they're playing, you know, the band's playing in California. He's like, he's not going there or whatever. But he's like, you know, go see your, your ex-wife. You know, he's like, it'll, it sounds strange, but it may give you an emotional shock to wake you up. You know, seeing her might shift you into a different state. You know, it can move you away from this. So he's, he's like, you know, you brought me here to help you. You, you know, you have to trust me. So Sam, Sam shakes his head, finishes coffee or whatever, goes in the other room. And I don't know what the point of this is, if I'm missing something, but, you know, you can just hear the urinating and he's just, he pees forever. So then when he comes out, Alan's, he's like, can you turn off the, the noise machine, the white noise? So Sam, he like turns, kind of glares at, or just stares at him. He, he's like, you know, I, it was just a weird look. Then he just slowly walks over the door, stands there. But then he just unplugs it, you know, pulls a plug from from the outlet. Then he hears the truck start up. Elias asks, he's like, is he gone? He's like, yes. And, he, and he's like, he's not doing so good in there. He, and he's like, starts groaning and sobbing. And Alan starts singing, country roads, take me home. And Elias sings too quietly. And then he finally says that he's like, my name is Elias. And then Alan's like, my name is Alan. And he, and he gives his full name. So the thing is, like, if Elias ever gets out now, but Sam decides to keep Alan there. He, Elias is going to know Sam's name or going to know Alan's name unless he just totally forgets it because it's so you know, traumatic and chaotic or whatever. But I guess the big question is, is Elias going to survive or is Sam going to kill him? And who's going to, what, I don't even know. I have no idea how this is going to end. I mean, you assume that they're going to get free, but Elias could get killed. And yeah, so it'll be interesting. But like I said, it's just, it's, and it's what I really liked about the show is it's got to be, it's like a simple show. It mostly takes place in this like basement room. You know, yeah, we saw the office outside, but I, I just like how it's just so centered there. And, you know, we don't normally, this is the first time we really see Sam outside, you know, at, at work. So I, I really enjoyed that little, little tidbits along with the, the flashback of Alan's life. So we're, you know, we're getting more information with that. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, 
That was the fourth episode. Then with Stargirl, season three, episode three, Frenemies, chapter three, The Blackmail. So this, it, it, I really like the fact that we have this mystery, you know, who killed the gambler? And, uh, you know, just, just seeing how, I, I'm still wondering, like, what's up with Starman? And you maybe, I'll, if I ever remember, I'll, just, I'll talk about it at the end of this episode. So Sylvester goes downtown, you know, he's walking, he looks uneasy, uh, people are like saying hello to him because it's like a small town. Everyone's like super friendly. Uh, he goes into the diner and he's like, wow. After he drinks the tea and Maria's like happy. She's like, best tea in America. Because you know, after all that the stuff that Shade put her through, Yolanda comes up to him and she's like, you know, she's like, I know I'm no, no Ted Grant, whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he was a real piece of work. And she's like, I was wondering, you know, what would he think of me? And Sylvester's like, well, you would have thought you were a badass, you know, but, you know, he and he was tough on, on everyone. It's like, so are you. You know, you won't let the, the Dragon King's, you know, kid off the hook or whatever. So then he asks about the town. He's like, what do you do around here when you're not fighting the Eclipso or the ISA or, you know, whatever? She's like, well, school, you know, church, work. He's like, oh, work. You know, that could be good. And then, like, outside the diner, Cameron's parents, or grandparents, I'm pretty sure they, they saw him, and then they, like, walked. So it's like, what is their evil scheme? And I'm assuming they didn't kill the gambler, because, one, how would they tear the trailer apart? But there's there's something up with them. I don't. And if they just have ice power, I, I don't know. Courtney made its big breakfast, like big waffles and everything like that. And she's like, oh, no, it's no special occasion. Uh, you know, Mike thinks it's because she skipped school or whatever. But then, you know, she brings up the shade, was at the diner when the gambler was killed. And, you know, the killer has incredible strength. And, you know, gambler was stabbed in the heart. So, you know, she talks about, you know, balancer or something like that. And then Crusher, Paul, and Artemis come in and they're like, oh, yeah, we agree with balance, like a balanced breakfast. So he takes like the big the stack of waffles and dumps them in the garbage. She's like, hey. And then they have like this other tray with like these bowls of protein mush or something like that. Like that. He's like, the whole family's on the plan now. And they all have to eat it. And they just like look at each other. Because, again, they don't didn't lock the door. And, you know, Courtney insists on that or whatever. Beth is with Rick. He's driving his car. She's on, on like a goggle call with her parents, whatever. And they're talking about the gambler and stuff like that. And she's, they're just like really into it. Like, well, what about this and this? So she finally like ends the call. And Rick thinks it's cool that her parents are into her being Dr. Midnight. And she's like, well, what about your uncle? So this is the, his young uncle that was total major jerk that, you know, they didn't get along and everything like that. Uh, Rick's like, he's gone. And she's like, where'd he go? He's like, I don't know. And I sure as heck don't care. And then uh, the goggles make this new sound and it's like incoming transmission. So she, you know, she's never heard that, but noise before she looks source unknown. And then you see like Stephen Sharp credit union and these bank records, all the stuff's like someone's forwarding these files to her. And she's like, I think the gambler was blackmailing someone. So it's like, okay. Then we see Cindy. She managed to get into gambler's laptop. And she's the one who sent the files to Beth. So there's like all these files like on the, on the desktop. And then she looks like clicks another. There's a, a folder like Dragon King's files or something like that. But it's admin access only. So she has to enter a password. And there's like little animated like gambler like like wrong. Try again. She keeps doing it. And she's like getting frustrated. But luckily for her, it's not like you know three tries and you're locked out for ten minutes or whatever. Then at school, Cindy's waiting for Courtney by her locker, and she's like, hey, new girl, you know, trying to be how they were before. Then she's like, you know, she asks if there's any update on the, on the JSA front, and she's like, you know, 
uh, Courtney's like, apparently the gambler's been blackmailing people. And she's like, huh? And Courtney's like, you know, she thought that gambler was really trying to be a better person for his daughter. And Cindy's like, well, you know, a lot of bad fathers just, you know, talk to talk. Then she's like, well, what does Starman think? And Courtney says that he's taking a day off. And then, you know, she's kind of getting distracted by Cameron across the hall at his locker. So she says that, you know, Beth is tracking accounts. So hopefully they'll have an update soon. And then she goes to talk to Cameron and, you know, she says, hi. He just like walks away without saying a word. It's like, all right, right, dude. So whatever. Uh, at the first American place, Paula grabs Barbara you know, before she goes into her office. She says, we have a situation on our hands. So they go into her office. She's like, the German chocolate cake was a big hit with the Women's Rotary Club. She's like, they want me to give a speech at a meeting. Or and she's like, I don't know what to say. And Barbara's like, just say you know, how much being part of you know, Blue Valley means to you. So then, then Tim comes into the office, and never mind the fact that she's in there with someone, but he's he's like rudely talking about like her proposals being late or whatever. I don't th- I didn't think he was her manager before, but she's like that's he's my manager now or something like that. So somehow he got like a promotion, and he's just being such a jerk to her. At the garage, you know they're, they're working on stripes. You know Pat's working on it, and Zeke's there. Sylvester's looking at Juan ads. You know he doesn't know what to do. He talks. You know the other JSA members had jobs and stuff like that, but he says without Starman, he's he's nobody. At lunch at the school, Courtney, Yolanda, Beth, Cindy, and Rick are sitting at the table. Yolanda says that the deposits came from Irwin Hassan. and so it's it turns out it's an alias for Lawrence Crock, who's a Crusher. So they think that they should tell Starman, uh, you know, uh, y- uh, Yolanda and Rick think that right away, of course. But Courtney's like, then he'll just r- rush in like he did with the shade. And they immediately think it's like, well, you know, he must be guilty because, you know, they're they're black being back blackmailed for something. So it's like, you know, she's like, you know, even if he was blackmailing them, it doesn't mean that they killed him. And Courtney says that, you know, if they're just going to take Artemis's parents away from her again, you know, they should make sure that they're really you know guilty of something then after a class the the math i think she's a math teacher she wanted to talk to cameron and you know she's like you're whatever your art teacher says that you're not painting you didn't turn in your assignment to me he's like is everything okay he's like well you know i've just been distracted whatever he's like you know can i make up the homework tonight and she's like well you know don't worry about that and she's like i know I'm the strictest teacher there, and and you know I, I don't you know I don't need, I'm not even that close with with the other staff members or whatever. But she's like you know I've been through some things too, and so if you ever want to talk, and he's like I said I was fine, so just leave me alone. And Rick's in a doorway. He's like, hey, don't be a jerk. She's only trying to help. And Cameron's like, sorry. And and then Rick like gets close to him. He's like, just because you're a spoiled rich kid doesn't mean you can talk to people however you want. And Cameron's like, I said I'm sorry. And then he walks by, it's like the big shoulder bump. And, <laughs> and he's like, talk to her again that way, and you will be. He's like, cool. And Cameron kind of scoffs. Of course, he's, he's like, yeah, cool. So then outside, Cameron sees Rick's car, and then he shoots an icicle at the front tire and deflates it. Sylvester, he's still looking for a job. He's at the house. The doorbell rings, and it's Cindy. She's like, oh, is Courtney home? And he's like, she's not home from school yet. And Cindy's like, oh, really? We were supposed to have a JSA meeting. And he's like, about what? And she says that how the gambler was blackmailing the Crocs. She's like, didn't they tell you? And she's like, oh, don't take it personally. They leave me out of things too. And she's like, why don't we go get the Crocs right now? 
and you know like they can team up and he's like that sounds terrible he's like teaming up with the dragon king's demon spawn he's like he's like i trust you less than the, the crocs or shade and he, he says some stuff. he just like slams the door on her <laughs> then he calls the staff and he's like the crocs he's like let's go get them and mike was kind of like listening and so he knows that starman's going out after them at a market uh, the Crocs are shopping and then Sylvester shows up. So the, the story's about the clothes, you know, they're like, bring your stuff up to the registers. And he has the staff and he's like, he asked them if they killed the gambler. Crushers tried taking like some, he wanted to steal some soy sauce or something like that. And then, they're, you know, they're talking about calories and stuff like that. And then he, he mentions a cheat day. So Sylvester's like, did you kill gambler on a cheat day? And then Crusher's like, what are you doing? Bringing the staff here in public. And he says that he knows uh, the gambler was blackmailing them and they're like you know well we don't want to fight <laughs> crusher's like why don't you go back to your basement and polish your staff and you know paula kind of laughs then then you know, so it's like you need to confess and then he sh blasts their shopping cart he shoots him in the middle of the store the others are at, at the garage and rick comes in he was late because he had a flat and then they're they're he asks if they're going after the Crocs, and Courtney's like, oh, you know, we're going to talk to them, but then she gets a phone call from Mike. So people are panicking at the market. Starman's, like, blasting left left and right, and they're, like, kind of flipping around, jumping over, like, aisles and stuff like that. Paula finally knocks him, you know, gets him in a sleeper hold, and the you know, Crusher grabs a bat that's, like, from this little basket, like, sports equipment, whatever, and then the, the staff, like, knocks him back. Sylvester slams him down. He zaps the whole place. He, like, slams his staff down, the whole place. The lights go out. There's, like, smoking and everything like that. There's more fighting. Then he sends them flying out the window. And he walks out after them. And then he, like, shoots at them, blows up a couple cars, and then, like, stripe lands. He's like, that's enough. Fight's over. Then, you know, Sylvester moves towards him. He's like, walk away, Sylvester. And he just, like, glares at, at Pat and stripe, whatever. At the house... Crusher says Gambler was blackmailing them, but they didn't kill them. The ISA, you know, there's like some crimes that they they didn't commit, but since the other members are dead now, so it'd be hard to prove that they were innocent. So, you know, they are guilty of some things, but they went to prison. They were able to get out on a legal loophole, and Pat's like, yeah, Sylvester might have a problem with that. But Crusher's like, well, who cares what he thinks? He's a lunatic. Paula says that, you know, they, they couldn't risk going back to prison, so they just decided to, to pay Sharp off. And Courtney's like, then why did the payment stop two months ago? And Crusher's like, he says that that putt stopped blackmailing us. He's, he didn't say why. So he thought, you know, he was planning some new angle or something like that. Courtney's like, Gambler really was trying to be better. Crusher admits that, you know, he did go pay him a visit the day he was murdered. They're like, what? He, he's like, he shows up spouting his, I'm turning over a new leaf mumbo jumbo. He's like, I didn't believe it. So I drove over to talk to him, but you know, I, I got so worked up that I thought I'd do something I regret. So I just drove off. And pa Paula says that, you know, whoever kills Sharp, it wasn't them. And then Sylvester like walks in with the staff and looks at him and goes downstairs. So Pat goes down in the basement to talk to Sylvester. He's like, yeah, we just talked to the Crocs. And Sylvester yells, yells, he's like, how could you step in front of me like that? And he's like, huh? He's like, you choose to protect them over me. You're my sidekick, not theirs. And Pat's like, I'm nobody's sidekick. He's like, this isn't how you do things. And Sylvester's like, he's like, well, you're letting you know half the people you know, who, who killed our friends move in the next door or whatever. And Pat's like, you don't just destroy things. It's the wrong message. And he's like, to who? And Pat's like, to Courtney. He's like, when the staff chose her, she thought that you were her father. And Sylvester's like, what? Why me? 
Pat says that her father disappeared the same Christmas Eve that the JSA died. So thinking her father was a hero who died was easier than just thinking he was a, a guy who just hit the road. So Pat said, you know, he did show up last year to get a locket that he'd given to her as a little girl. It was probably worth some money. And, you know, it was, it was also the thing that she cared most about. So she gave it to him and then he just left. Sylvester's like, well, what'd you do? And Pat's like, I knocked him on his ass. He's like, I'm not proud of it, you know, but that pain, it'll never leave her. And that's why, you know, we've got to be there for her. You can't just be a friend to Courtney. You have to be like a father, all right? And, you know, it's like she put you on a pedestal ever since, you know, she picked up the staff. You know, whether you like it or not, you have to set an example for Courtney and the other kids, not just to be a better man, but to be the star man that you set out to be. Sylvester's like, I don't know who I'm supposed to be. And, you know, he says something like, you know, he went to the grocery store, he didn't even have a costume. And Pat's like, you know, costume doesn't make the man. So then lunch, they said, you know, the Crocs didn't kill the gambler. And Courtney's like, I, you know, I believe them. She's like, the way that the trailer was ripped apart, you know, that isn't their style. And, you know, since it's not Shade or Grundy, they're like, someone's like, well, what about Cindy? So, she, you know, she did what they said that, they wouldn't do. She, she went straight to Sylvester with, with the, the information about the Crocs. Then Cindy walks up and says, yeah, that's because I didn't want to just sit around and do nothing. She's like, the, the Crocs look guilty, and I wanted to take them down. Then she's like, I wanted to prove myself. I thought that if the great Sylvester gave his approval, that you would too. But, you know, he's kind of an ass. And Courtney says that if she does something like that again, she's off the team. And Cindy's like, okay. She's like, I got it. Paula is at the Rotary Club thing. She has to give her speech. And she's like super nervous. You know, she goes up there or whatever. Then Barbara comes in like the door. And she like smiles and you know waves at her. So then Paula's like, she's like, I love Blue Valley and the people in it. And Barbara starts like clapping right away. And no one else is clapping just yet. Cameron goes up to Courtney like in the hall. He's like, hey. He's, he says he's really sorry for being a jerk to, to everyone, but most importantly to her. She's like, is everything okay? And he's like, everyone keeps asking me that. He's like, He's not really sure if he's ready to talk about it just yet. And he's like, sorry. She's like, that's oh, okay. He's like, we don't have to talk about it. And we can just go for a walk together if, if you want. Sylvester's sitting in the basement. He's like looking at some JSA files. Then he tells Cosmo staff that they've turned up empty again. So he keeps thinking that there must be something at the crime scene that they overlooked. So they should go back. He, he puts his hand out, but Cosmo hesitates. And he's like, no. It's, it's not my time. It's like, I have to respect the rules. Courtney and Cameron are walking down the sidewalk in town and their hands are like close together as they walk and slowly the fingers kind of start like interlocking. But then he pulls back. He's like, I got to go. He's like, sorry. And then Sylvester goes out without the staff. Barbara's working on a proposal. Tim's in his office and Paula like does a flip or whatever. She's in there and she's like, we need to talk about a friend of mine. And he's like, oh, this whatever. And she's like, no. She's like, it's it's a friend, but you're gonna, you're gonna be a lot nicer to her. Cindy is looking. She's still on the laptop. She's still trying to access that the admin files or whatever. Then we see this room where there's a lot of TV monitors. You know, whoever is watching everyone, who's obviously the killer, and you know, someone's like watching the monitors. I think they might have had like a black glove on, but he, we couldn't tell who it is. Sylvester arrives at the crime scene. Uh, Pat. He's like sewing a costume for Sylvester. Mike kind of like watches from the doorway and then he closes the door. So he's probably like, my dad never spends any time with me. So he's probably, you know, so bummed about that. And then Sylvester, you know, he's at the crime scene looking and it's like, he kind of like senses someone behind him, but then he gets lifted way up 
and then he, then you see him like he gets like tossed onto the trailer wreckage his face is like bloody and everything like that and then there's like there's like this roar so no idea who would have done this because I, I don't know if someone picked him up and tossed him or if yeah, it, it, I don't know. Is it like some giant or did they just like hit him or could they fly? I don't know. Oh, but the, so the other thing, what I was going to say before about Sylvester, you know, there's still a question of how did he come back to life? Because, you know, he claims that he d- had to dig himself out of the grave and everything. I just, I, when he first showed up at the end of the, was it the first season or whatever? I was like super skeptical that it, it was it even him, but they're making it, Seems like, yeah, it is him. They haven't explained why he's come back. He doesn't know why he's back, but I just, I wonder, it's like, is it really him or is it something else? But I guess he has enough memories. I don't know, but we'll have to see. So it's not the Crocs. It's not, I mean, I don't know if there's anyone else left. Then Harley Quinn, season three, episode 10, The House and the Sparrow. So this is the season finale. And... I'm part of me is kind of glad that it, the season's over, but I am looking forward to the next season and we'll talk about that at the end. So it's, it picks up from the last episode where, you know, Ivy's like, but and, and whatever. Sure. She's like, Harley, she's like, what the hell? She, you know, cause she was building Eden. She thought that Harley wanted to do that. You know, why would she stop her and all the stuff like that? And Harley's like, ah, you know what? And so Ivy's like, I just need to go, you know, be alone and thing. And she's like, Oh, are you going to whatever market? And you're just like, we need more TP. And she's like, okay, fine. So people in the streets are thanking Harley cause she saved them. And Batgirl's kind of like cheering her on and stuff like that. And she's like, I'm not a hero or whatever like that. And then Batgirl's like, we should go crush some cans of cider and unpack all this because it's probably confusing for you. And so Ivy goes to like the big box store or whatever. She gets some toilet paper, some other stuff. Frank's with her like sitting in a shopping cart like a little kid, whatever. They go by this like big TV and Lex like hacks into it to talk to Ivy. And, you know, he says that, you know, he's looking to build a Legion of Doom in Gotham, you know, so he's like impressed with what she did, you know, how, how much she accomplished, whatever. Ivy's like, I don't want to be in it. And he's like, why? Well, no, I was like, I want you to lead it. He's like, you know, you're this big threat now and I want you in charge. And she says, it's like, well, you'd never agree to my terms. And he's like, try me. So she says that she need to be paid an obscene amount of money. He's like, of course. And she said that she need to be in complete control, so she'd you know be running things, and she'd get to do whatever she wants, and without needing approval from anyone, including him. And he's like, the Legion of Doom would be yours, you know, because she almost destroyed Gotham with you know a little lab and some test tubes. So imagine what she could do with his vast resources at her disposal. You know, she'd be unstoppable. And she's like, I don't want to babysit Bane. And he's like, we'll move him to our Tempe office. And she's like, oh. So Alfred's finishing, you know, he's, he's, he's finishing burying Bruce's dead zombie parents, whatever. Bruce admits that he may have gone, you know, just a little too far and he should stop letting the, the specter of his dead parents haunt him. Then uh, he gets slapped in the face by like a flyer for James Gunn's A Hard Wayne's Gonna Fall movie. And they're being like dumped out of this blimp. And Bruce is like, he's like, of course, like everywhere I turn, you know, I'm reminded of this movie. And Alfred's like, oh, the producer sent tickets over. I'll decline them. And Bruce's like, no. He's like, I should face this one head on. And then Alfred's like, oh, I'll you know, accompany you. And, and he's like, uh, actually, I, I have someone in mind or whatever. But it's like the thing is, he I don't he didn't take anyone with him, unless he was he was hoping that Selena would go with him. But I don't think he ended up using an extra ticket. 
Clayface is trying to figure out what to wear to the premiere since because he ki- accidentally killed Billy Bob Thornton. He's been posing as him and, and finished a movie. So he's nervous and all this. And King Sharks says that, well, you know, he's like, all oh, the attention is going to be on, on BBT, Billy Bob Thornton. He's like, no one even knows that it was you. And it, then it kind of hits Clayface. No one will know. So basically, no one's going to know it was his performance. They're going to give all the credit to Billy Bob Thornton. Um, Ivy and Frank come home. Harley wants to talk to and, and Ivy wants to talk too. And she's like, Lex Luthor wants me to run the new Legion of Doom. Harley screams or whatever. She's like, ha. She's like, I wish I could have been there when you told him to fudge off. And Ivy's like, uh, you couldn't because I didn't. She says that, you know, basically they start talking. She's, and she's like, I didn't think you'd want, you'd be on the same page with me. But Harley's like, she's like, oh no, I am. She's like, I want, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Cause you know, she obviously, she just right there says that, you know, she doesn't want anything. She insults the Legion of Doom, and she's like, oh, she wants to be in it with, with Ivy or whatever. So she's like, I'll do whatever it takes. And Ivy's like, are you sure? Because she's like, to close the deal with Lex, I'm killing the mayor tomorrow. And Harley's kind of caught off guard. She's like, you mean like Joker the mayor? And Ivy says that Lex has a beef with his new evil lair tax. So she's like, is that going to be a problem? And Harley's like, ha, let's kill the effing Joker. She's like, Oh, I, you know, I love that for us or something like that. Clayface is, is kind of bummed. You know, he, he, they get out of the, the big car. They're all dressed up and everything. And then, you know, he had changed to Billy Bob and, and, and the, the SUV limo thing, whatever. The others are with him for some reason. It doesn't really make any sense. Why would Ivy, Harley, Frank, and King Shark be accompanying Billy Bob Thornton to this premiere? And the other thing, why are they having a premiere in Gotham? Is it because the Waynes are there? Okay, I get that, I guess. Bruce is there. He's staring at this display case. You know, there's like a, I don't know what you call it. Like the, it there's like pearls on it, like a quarter mannequin, whatever. And then uh, Selena comes up behind him and she asks how he's doing. He's like, oh, I didn't think you'd come or whatever. And she says that she figured this whole thing would be triggering. You know, even though they're not dating, doesn't mean she doesn't you know, want him to be sad or, you know, she doesn't want to see him sad or something like that. Joker comes in, he goes walks in the theater. He's like greeting people saying hi to all of them. And then he's like, he's not happy where his, that he's seated in the back, whatever. And then he goes to sit, but then Harley pops out and puts a bag over his head and like grabs him. So Ivy tells Joker that when the credits roll, that they're going to kill him and announce that they're running the new Legion of doom. He asks if Lex put them up to this. He's like, the tax is just a half a percent. He's like, and the money goes to making college free. And Harley's like, oh, whoa, really? But then, you know, then she's like, it was like, gets back on track, whatever. She's like, oh, I just realized I left my bat in the car. She's like, I'll be right back. So Joker, he manages to untie his ropes. And then he comments that he's like, Harley never, you know, slips on her rope tying or whatever. And then, you know, a, a plant wraps him up or whatever. So then they start talking about Harley, like the two of them. He's like, does she still put like a big box in recycling so nothing else can fit in there? And she's like, yeah. Harley sees Bruce like kind of fussing about in the lobby. And he's like, oh, I shouldn't have come. And so she's going to do like a little session with him. They sit, whatever. She says how she was in his mind. You know, she knows a secret. And he's like, have you told anyone? And she's like, no, I came to realize that Gotham needs Batman, plus, you know, doctor patient confidentiality and all that stuff. So Bruce's like, well, how did Ivy take it when she found out that you want to be, a, that you're a hero now? And she's like, I'm not a hero. He's like, of course you are. He's like, you stopped Ivy's evil plan. And he's like, I used to think you were just chaos, but, you know, there, there's more to you than that. Ivy and Joker are still talking about Harley. 
and you know they they mentioned like her compulsiveness or whatever her ocd or something about running out of, of tp or something like that and then he says how you know harley over goes along she goes along with whatever the plan is and ivy's like what are you talking about and he points out how harley just stopped ivy's big plan and now she's joining the legion of doom with him so and you know it's like and when did she ever forget a bat and ivy's like oh and then harley comes in we see a scene from the, the movie like the shooting and billy bobs he gives this, this whatever speech part you know on his deathbed and and clayface is just like all into it you know he, he's got tears in his eye watching his, his performance so then ivy you know or she stops Harley. She basically gets in front of, you know, Harley's like ready to start smacking Joker with the bat. And she's like, I don't want you to kill Joker if it's just because I want you to. And she's like, you're not a villain anymore. She's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you're friends with Batgirl. She's like, no, I'm friendly with her. And she's like, you know, when was, I don't, can't remember the last time I saw you kill anyone. She's like, you're not a villain anymore. And then Harley, so she admits that she's like, well, I don't want to lose you. And Ivy says that if running the Legion of Doom doesn't work for her, that's fine. But she doesn't want her to compromise herself. You know, she wants to support her. And Harley says that you know she doesn't know what she wants. You know, people are saying she's not a villain. Fine, whatever. But she's not ready for that other label just yet. So then the movie's over. Credits. Cheers. Clayface. He finally comes up and he's like, "It's not Billy Bob whose performance moved you." And he like changes whatever. And they, someone's like. Billy Bob Thornton's a shapeshifter, you know, so no one's listening to Clayface or whatever. Then uh, Joker comes out. He starts talking, and he mentions he starts he starts talking about like how to one percent are the real problem in the city, and he talks about like public humiliation. So he's like, "Send in the clowns!" And this car like drives through like the top of the movie screen. I think there's like five clowns or whatever come out with guns, and then he says, "This is a sting operation." And he's like, "And you fell for it." He's talking to Bruce, and Bruce is like kind of surprised. He says that they're busting him for tax evasion. So this one clown like lifts her mask and she's like, Bruce Wayne, you are under arrest for intentional omission, manipulation, and uh, alteration for, of accounting records. So he gets cuffed. And then like as he's being taken outside in the lobby, Harley's like, deep breaths. He's like, you'll be okay. And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, this could be good, whatever. It's exciting and it's scary. She also points out that, you know, there's Selena's walking by. She's like, oh, and I hate to say it, but I, I think she stole your mother's pearls. He's like, of course, whatever. So then outside, he talks to Barbara. You know, she goes up to him, and, and he says that he's – because she's like, we can pull up and get there, you know, to Blackgate Penitentiary. And he's like, no. He's like, I'm going to do my time. He's like, you're going to have to step up. And he's like – she's like, I can't do this without you. He's like, you already done it. You talk about the Mad Hatter and all like stuff like that. Then in the back of, like, the, the police, the paddy wagon, whatever, he sees that the pearls are in his suit pocket. So Selena stole them and stuck them in there for him. Clayface is bummed because no one's paying any attention to him. And King Shark's like, well, I'll give you, you know, my actor of the year award with the, the prizes is hug. I hope it helps. And he's like, it doesn't. Harley, back at their place, at Selena's place, you know, she's decided on something. She mentions how, you know, she was alone for so long and now she's with Ivy, blah, blah, blah. They smooch and stuff like that. Then we see the bat signal. Nightwing, Batgirl, and Robin are up on a roof and Harley comes in through a door. She's like, hey, a-holes. And Nightwing is like, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, with Batty and a clink, I figured you might need a little help. And Night, you know, and she's like, oh, you still have the best bud of all of us. So Nightwing's like, oh, maybe we should give her a chance. So then Batgirl, of course, is excited. She's like, welcome to the family. They jump off the roof. And then, you know, then they have their, like, their 
zipline things. And she's like, hey, you, she calls him a name or whatever. And she's like, I'll just take the stairs. And then that's where, how it ends. So I guess Harley is going to be a hero for a while, part of the Bat family. We'll see how it goes. And so she's going to be a hero, but Ivy's running the Legion of Doom. So it's like, how's that going to work? So I guess we'll have to wait however long. It was fine. But the other thing is weird. It's like, you know, why does Lex care about Gotham City? Why would he have an evil lair in Gotham? You know, is it to get away from Metropolis and Superman? But then you're going to pick the one place where Batman's at? I, it, I guess it's probably just a matter of convenience to have him, a reason for him to be on the show, whatever. So that was fine. Okay, then She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Season 1, Episode 5, Mean Green and Straight Poured into These Jeans. So this episode, uh, we did not get a cameo, which is fine. Uh, I don't, you know, it didn't really need it. So I, I think that's fine. Sort of, not really. All right, it starts off, there's like this makeup commercial, Strength is Beauty, What Makes You Beautiful, She-Hulk by Titania, Be Strong, Be Beautiful, Own Who You Are. So Jen you know, sees this at her house, whatever, and then she's driving, she sees this big billboard, because oh, Titania, last episode, you know, she trademarked the She-Hulk name, she has all this like cosmetic stuff, you know, line or whatever. Later, she's sitting on a couch. Ched, her, <laughs> like her brother, I guess, I think he's a brother, not her cousin, he barge, barges in. He's like, I'm making fortune selling this, you know, signed She-Hulk stuff. And she's like, those aren't mine. She's like, Titania owns a copyright. He's like, why'd you let her do that? That's dumb. And then he's had explained, he's like, you know, with this copyright stuff, whoever gets there first gets a trademark at first. And she's like, oh, really? That's how it works? And so then there's like this store, you know, there's like all these big She-Hulk signs. And it's just like She-Hulk store or something like that. And it's just a crank, crank crazy. There's like this big line. Jen goes there as herself, as Jen, with Nikki, because she saw that Titania tweeted that she'd be there to connect with her friends. And she's like, you follow her on Twitter or something? Nikki doesn't want to wait in line. She's like, oh, so they, they walk up. And then Titania is like signing pictures and stuff like that. And Jen walks up there and she's like, oh, sorry, little child. The line starts back there. And Jen's like, uh, she's like, I don't want to cut. She's like, I just want you to stop all this. So at the office, She-Hulk is, is still complaining. Nikki says that she said that she didn't like the name, you know, She-Hulk, but She-Hulk says that she doesn't, but that's what people decide to call her. Uh, then later, you know, Nikki's at her desk. Pug comes up to her and he's like, can you do me a favor? And she's like, well, it depends. And he, so he wants, he's like, I want you to know if you'd stand in line with me for sneaker drop. He's like, the Iron Man 3s are coming out. And she, he's like, you know, they're, they're limited to one pair per customer. And she's like, why do you need two pairs? He's like, one to rock and one to stock. And she's like, do you collect shoes to look at that you'll never wear? He, he just kind of shrugs. And she's like, I respect that. And Pug says that, he's like, I do have some pretty rare limited editions that I got through my drip broker. And, you know, he's like, he can find you anything you want. And Nikki's like, can he find someone who can make costumes for a supersized human person? And he's like, no doubt. Then she's like, okay, I, I need to call in my favor. So he's like, but you haven't done my favor yet. And she's like, whatever. And she, it's like that. So she, he's like, all right. So then Nikki and Pug, they pull up to this cafe, Boba. It's B-E-A-U hyphen ba. And she's like, this is just a boba place. And Pug's like, no. It's like, my guy said it was a front for you know superhero clothing business. They go inside, and Pug's like, 
hey, my, my, you know, the barista's like, what can I get you? And he's like, my boy Alonzo sent us. And he's like, okay, what's the order? He's like, no. And he's like, starts saying, he's like, this is just a boba cafe. And Nikki's like, she says uh, something like, we're not cops in Chinese. He's like, what? She's like, what's that? And he's like, I'm not Chinese. He just like goes in the back. So she's like, oh no, I insulted him. She's like, I can't believe he did that. And then he comes to the other side. He's like, okay, come on back. So he opens his door, <laughs> this like cabinet thing. There's like plastic Captain America shields, Thor hammers, like t-shirts and everything. She's like, this one says Avengers. It's like with an O. And the barista is like, well, if you don't like it, I also have Avengers. And she's like, oh, with an I. And she's like, I don't want any bootleg stuff. And <laughs> And Pug's like, wait, wait. He's like, he, he's kind of into it. Nikki's like, I want custom clothing for a superhero. And Pug says to the barista, he's like, if you're not the guy, do you know who is? And Bruce is like, he won't meet with you. He's very exclusive. Nikki's like, oh, so you do know the guy. You know, the barista doesn't say anything. Then she's like, fine, I'll, I'll buy an Avengers t-shirt. He's like, and a matching hat. And she's like, of course, you know, I want to complete the ensemble. So then they, they're outside this door and they're, they're wearing like t-shirts and hat and Pug also has like a plastic shield and hammer. Um, you know, they're about to ring the doorbell and you're like, don't. And then, you know, he, so basically this guy in intercom doesn't want to meet with them. And then they're like, our, our client is an Avenger, you know, top tier one. And then he's like, okay, I'll, I'll give you a 15 minute consultation. So then She-Hulk is with her boss. What, what I forgot the dude's name. And he's like, why did I pass a billboard selling a She-Hulk booty booster? And, and she starts explaining about the titanium stuff. He's like, actually, you know, I don't really care about that stuff. He's like, GLH and K, you know, made She-Hulk the face of the superhuman law division. And now, you know, we're in the middle of a lawsuit. So She-Hulk is with Mallory Brooke because, you know, she shouldn't be representing herself because, you know, of course, that, that never goes right. But she makes it clear to, you know, she's saying this to She-Hulk. She's like, I'm only doing this out of professional courtesy. So like, we are not friends, only colleagues. And then she asks, she's like, why didn't you trademark your name? And she hooks like, I didn't even think about it. She's like, did Dr. Strange trademark his name? Did Thor? And Mar Mallory's like, you chose two examples of people who use their real names. And she's like, oh. And she turns on her screen. To, <laughs> it's like to one of Titania's insupposed. She's like, this is a person who legally outmaneuvered you. And she's like, mm-hmm. And she, she, you know, she's like, yeah. So then Mallory's like, well, we need to show strength and counter sue. It's like show that you are using the name and that Titania is trying to profit off of it. But if she's going to be her client, she has to dress differently and not like a football player play, pleading a no contest, you know, to a DUI. And then she's like, Nikki. And she's like, she pops in. She's like, I wasn't lurking. I was just nearby or whatever. You know, she was obviously listening. Then she talks about the closer like and Nikki's like, I have a, you know, I lined you up with the guy who makes, you know, clothes for superheroes but in court. Um, Jen's she hulk still wearing her, her, her suit and Titania comments. She's like, nice suit Shrek. So Titania's lawyer immediately, you know, before it even gets started, he's like, I moved to dismiss this entirely frivolous suit. He, so he says his client owns a trademark for she hulk. Miss um, book may enjoy wasting the court's time, but as you can certain, you can be certain that I do not. So judge calls Miss Book, and she says, you know, she's like, thanks, and and you know, you will see that there are no issues of fact that would require proceeding of to trial. She's like, since the first public appearance of Jennifer Walters in her Hulk form, the public has unanimously identified her with the name She Hulk. In fact, the name She Hulk 
has not even been recorded in public discourse until that debut. So we have a number of news items and broadcast quotes that I'd like to enter into record. So she's like, simply put, the defendant is exploiting goodwill towards my client and her better known cousin in order to sell her non-FDA approved sham products. (laughs) So we asked the court to grant our motion for summary judgment and order our requested remedies. And then Titania stands up. First of all, sham. (laughs) She's like, why don't you try telling that to the thousands of testimonials from my fans who have had nothing but amazing results from my exclusive line of She-Hulk foot exfoliants, which I just happen to have a little sample of to offer into evidence. She's like, thank you. And the judge's like, no, 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 we don't need. She's like, can we just stay on track? She doesn't want this into evidence. So then um, her lawyer says that, what his client is trying to say is Jennifer Walters wasn't interested in the name She-Hulk until his client came forward with this incredibly successful line of products. So he plays a video of She-Hulk. She's like walking out of court. You know, she's on the step. She's like, it's like, I won't answer that name. She's like, she's like, that name never was and never will be, you know, my name never was, never will be She-Hulk. And she's like, it's lazy, it's reductive, and it's straight up garbage. So the judge is like, do you have a response? And Mallory's like, yeah. She's like, so they have a clip for, uh, to show that the interviewer asked her, he's like, how did you come up with the name? You know, she Hulk, whatever. And she's like, some random guy on the news came up with it and it stuck. And so now whether I like it or not, I am forever. She Hulk. Mallory says that her client did state she is she Hulk. The judge is like, well, this is just one instance. Can you prove a pattern of Ms. Walter's personal use of that name? And she's like, yes, your honor. We definitely have more to present. So they're going to take a recess or whatever. Reconvene later. Nikki talks to She-Hulk, um, or she takes She-Hulk to the dude. Then she's like, you know, by the way, we told him you were an Avenger. And she's like, what? So then they, they go into this this guy's apartment place, whatever. He turns around, and he like flinches, like, oh, my God. He's like, is a hag convention in town? He says that, he's like, I've never heard of her. And my clientele list is very exclusive. And Nikki's like, well, she's going to be one of the Avengers. He's like, you said she was one. And Nikki's like, it hasn't been announced yet. He's like, we're still working out the deal. And it's like, the Hulk is her cousin. He's like, by blood? And she's like, yeah. And she's going to be a superstar. And then he's like, fine. He's like, so he wants to know, like, what kind of suits she wants. Does she need weapons? You know, does it have to be fireproof? Whatever. And she looks like, no, no. It's like, I just need a suit. She's like, I'm a lawyer. He's like, a lawyer? And then he's like, don't waste my time. And Nikki says that she needs something in both sizes. And Nikki's like, go ahead and show him. So she turns to Jen. And then he's like, he seems to be interested in this for somehow. He's like, he's like, oh, we're going to need a stretchable cotton or something. I don't remember what he said. So he returned to the office. She still is not dressed. She-Hulk notices Mallory's with this creepy guy that she went on a date with. And she's like, Todd, right? He's like, I didn't know you worked here. And she's like, are you a client? He's like, yeah. He's like, the biggest. So it's like, what is that all about? And then they're like, oh, we should catch up again sometime. She's like, yeah. He's like, drinks are on me. So even though she didn't want anything to do with this guy, she kind of like rolled over or whatever. So Jen's eating lunch with Nikki outside, and they talk about how She-Hulk sat across that guy for an entire dinner, and Nikki said, you know, he probably told his friends, I went on a date with She-Hulk. Then it hits Jen. He went on a date with She-Hulk because she made a dating profile as She-Hulk and went on several dates as She-Hulk, showing a clear pattern of using the name which is what I was thinking right away. It's like, wouldn't there be some record as to when she created her profile? Every single one of those dates is a corroborating witness. And she's like, this is how I win the case. And Nikki's like, by parading all the questionable men you dated in the courtroom. 
So back in court, Mallory tells a judge that she has compelling evidence her client did, in fact, self-identify with the moniker She-Hulk well before Titania filed for the trademark. She's like, my client used She-Hulk not as a name to exploit in order to sell product, but as a genuine part of her identity. So she puts up like an image of the dating profile. She's like, in the about me section, she wrote mean green and straight up poured into these jeans. And Titania looks at She-Hulk. She's like, ew. And Mallory's like, in the what are you looking for in a partner section, a sturdy back and a reinforced king size bed, JK, JK, JK. So, and then there's four witnesses. So as they talk, you know, Jen's sinking lower and lower. You know, the, the guys, of course, are like kind of full on themselves and everything. The last guy that she actually went off with that came back to her place, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we had an incredible connection. It was a great date. You know, she fought demons. And Mallory's like, would you have gone out on a date if She Hulk had instead presented as Jennifer Walters? And he's like, look, I don't mean to be rude, but no. She, you know, she's not really my type. And he's like, but She-Hulk is incredible. She's amazing. So the judge like takes all this in. She finds in favor of Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk. Titania and her subsidiaries will cease use of She-Hulk name effective immediately. All current product of the market must be recalled. Then Titania goes up to Jen after, you know, she goes up to her table. She's like, this isn't over, hater. So she's going to have a nemesis. Outside, Jen thanks Mallory and, you know, they're walking. And she's like, I may need to schedule several therapy sessions, but we won. And Mallory says, she's like, look, Walters, what that extremely attractive man said in there, you can do better. So you deserve better. They keep walking. And She-Hulk asks Mallory, she's like, uh, she's like, can I buy you a drink and say thanks? She's like, sure. And she's like, eee. <laughs> so then they're drinking cheers. Mallory says, uh, you know, it's like, that was quite a strategy. She's like, I don't know any other lawyer who would humiliate themselves to win a case. And she's like, well, that's me. I'll throw myself under a bus. And then they start talking about humiliations women go through. Mallory's like, you know, you can have literal superpowers and some guy I, who with the internet thinks that he can do better. And Jen's like, right? She's like, I'm so glad we're friends now. Then she's like, what? Did I, did I say that out loud? And Marilla just kind of looks at her and she's like, thanks for the drink. So she finishes it and then she's like, I thought you were getting better clothes. She like walks away. And then to us, she's like, oh yeah, my clothes. So at that dude's place, he like wheels out some suits or like in garment bags. He's like, sure, try this one on. And then he's like, oh, and he's like, I also made something extra. She's like, well, I don't think I really, he's like, just say thanks. And she's like, thanks. And then he goes into the other part of the room. He's like, this shouldn't be left out in open. And then he's like to some worker, he's like, do client confidentiality mean nothing? So you can see he puts like a lid on this box. It's like the yellow daredevil helmet. And it says like for pickup. So he, apparently this dude and they're because they're what are they, in L.A. So apparently Daredevil has to go to L.A. to get a costume, which is probably why he's going to be in the next episode. And I think is the next episode the last I, I, I should look up if there's only six. I'm pretty sure there's only six episodes, right? Oh, no, it looks like there's nine episodes. That's good. So it's interesting that she hulks still going on and like Star Wars Andor is starting up this week so there's gonna be this little overlap because usually they, they try to keep them separate for whatever reason but so i guess that's good for us so more she hulk but i think charlie cox did say that he's only in one episode so unless <laughs> he he hasn't always been completely honest so well i guess we'll have to see but i i i did like this episode and i know a lot of people it seemed like online everyone really liked madison 
Yeah. She was all right. I mean, maybe I, I don't know if we'll see her again because I don't know if they could have predicted the reaction. We'll have to see. Oh, and there was no mid credit scene, which was really weird. I'm like, wait a minute. Did I miss it? So, yeah. It's almost like the the Daredevil thing would have been the mid credit, but it was still part of the final scene. Okay. All right. Then Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1, Episode 4, uh, The Great Wave. And... I, st- I don't know how I feel about this show beyond as I'm watching this, you know, with, with the, how crazy this week was, you know, trying to c- catch up or keep up with everything. I'm like, man, should I cut the show? I mean, should I not cover it? Because I'm, it's a good show. It's a great production. I'm just, I'm not loving it. And a part of it is I, I, I feel like there's just, you know, so many characters and I'm, I'm trying to, I, and I'm not like a, a huge Tolkien fan. You know, I don't know like the ins and outs of the timeline and everything like that. So I don't know like how, where this is supposed to take place. I I saw someone mention that, you know, this stranger character who, you know, we're, it's, and this could be a spoiler. I mean, I don't know where, you know, we're supposed to believe like, oh, is this, you know, Gandalf before, you know, whatever young Gandalf, but I believe when this show is supposed to be taking place is like it's before Gandalf's timeline. Like he's he's not around then. So this is like some other wizard dude that they're kind of tricking us, making us think like, oh, is this Gandalf? But it's really not. And then some people are like, well, maybe he's really Sauron. And you know, I don't know. But I, I feel like there's just so many characters. And, you know, I, I care about I'm, I'm starting to care about some, but others. I just I don't I'm, I'm not super clear what's what's happening. So then I feel like that that's like a disservice. Like if you are a huge fan of the show and you're listening to me, like recap it, talk about it, where I could be, you know, getting some things wrong. And, and so I, I don't know, but I, I don't want to, I, I hate the idea of just quitting the show, you know, quitting covering it. I would still watch it. I, I think, you know, I, I feel like I would, the priority would shift. But anyways, so with this episode, uh, the queen of Numenor, she's like talking to some mothers with her. I think it's like some naming ceremony or something like that. And then there's like some rumbling outside. And then she you know, looks like there's like wind. You see like the blossoms like blowing and everything like that. And then she sees these waves crashing over the mountains because, you know, there's like all the, like the cliffs and everything like that. It starts like destroying the structures. And she's just like standing there. I mean, I guess what can you really do? And then the, like the waves are, are getting closer and closer. And it just like crashes into the queen, and you know she kind of like turns around, and then it turned out as like it was a dream. So it's like okay, out in the streets or the town, not really streets. There's a dude talking about like the elf's mate attacking four guildmen. You know, I think he was one of the dudes that was attacked, and it's it's like he's trying to rile people up, saying that you know the elves are taking her job and this and that or whatever like that, and like the queen is either blind or she's an elf lover or whatever. The chancellor dude, which I don't know what his deal is. And I feel like he has his own agenda going on. But then he he's, you know, nearby. He hears them, like, going ranting and stuff like that. He calls them, like, muling children. And, he, you know, he's like, it's just one elf. It's a castaway. She's like, she can't threaten us. But then he he starts, like, kind of building them back up, like, who they are and everything like that. Then at one point, he's like, drinks for everyone or whatever. And then uh, Irian, uh, what's that, that 
ship commander i forgot his name his uh daughters you know she's she, you know she's become an apprentice and she's like listening to like what's going on there so then the queen talks to galadriel and she's like you vex me he's like i welcome you as a guest and you gallop off to our countryside and steal ancient scrolls never mind the fact that it was an elf dude that designed the place or whatever anyways so she mentions her companion getting into a fight um, Galadriel says that's because his people are dying and he's restless. And she's like, I believe he's no common brawler, but the lost heir and exile to the throne of the Southlands. And she's, you know, the queen is like, what? So she says that his people are scattered with her backing that he could ride under his banner or something like that. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and you know, she's like backing. And so Galadriel says that Sauron was once her people's enemies, just as it was hers. So she's calling upon the queen to reforge the alliance between Numenor and the elves. And you know, she's like, you know, fight with her, you, you know, to see the to save the the Southlands before Sauron takes it. And the queen's like, Numenor has another path. And then she's like, this audience is at an end. And she starts walking away. And Galadriel isn't happy. So then before you know, she leaves the room, she's like, then I have no choice but to ask for another audience with the true ruler of Numenor, your father, the king. And then the queen, she's like, she stops in her tracks and she's insulted. And, and she's like, says some other stuff. And then you see Galadriel getting locked up in a cell. So it's like, uh, and Halibrand like jokes. He's like, well, let me guess, tavern brawl? And she's like, sedition. And he just kind of laughs. Then we see a ship, you know, with the cadets on there, you know, they're running the ropes and, you know, all the stuff like that. Then Ilsador, uh, that, that dude's son, he um, starts hearing a woman whispering his name again. And then he's like not really sure. He, he ends up, he's like staring at the rope this one rope that he's like have like wrapped around this thing. Then he lets it slip. So it goes off. He ends up getting kicked off for letting go deliberately. Cause the, the guy in command, he's like, I've seen you tied that man. He's like, there's no way that was an accident. And these two other guys get dismissed as well because they were kind of trying to, to help out or something like that. And that's, so he was looking to get kicked off himself. Cause you know, he's, he's doesn't feel like this is what he wants to do or something like that. But now he got like two of his friends kicked off. Then we see Arendir, so he's about to face this Adar guy that the orcs are calling when they're chanting his name. He, you know, then he looks at this uh, Adar, looks at this wounded orc, and he kind of offers him. And I'm looking at this guy, you know, you, at first it's a little blurry, and it's like, is he an elf? Like, what's what's who is this guy? He's not an orc, and he's offering some comfort to the the orc that's that got wounded and everything like that. And then he like stabs him. And then he starts talking to Aaron Deer, like in another language, maybe it's an elf language. I don't know. What do I know? And then um, Aaron Deer is like, kind of, he's like, where were you born? And and you know, he, um, he's and he's like, you know, what are you? He's like, are you an? You know, so I don't know. It's like, is he an elf? But he like won't answer. Then he talks about like forming a new world or whatever like that, and he's like all the stuff like that. But he's like, but I'm no god or whatever. Then he tells Aaron Deer to go to the men who are in the old watchtower and deliver a message. But then it's like they don't even tell us what the message is because then it cuts to the next scene. So we see the people in that village where Aaron Deer was like stationed at. They they fled their village when the orcs were like starting to show up. So I think I think they're at the tower. Um, so then Theo, uh, what, what's her name's son, who Aaron Deer was with, Bronwyn, uh, 
they they they're like running out low on food and they're they're having to ration even further so people are getting upset and everything like that so theo wants to go into town like you know they can go during the day because the orcs don't come out in the sun so him and his friend go down there to get some food and uh then theo wants to go into the tavern he's he's in there you know he finds some stuff and then the door kind of closes and then it like suddenly gets dark because his friends like outside with like a wheelbarrow of stuff and you see like just a cloud it's like what he's just starts, starts running to like run past the, the darkness and orc attacks theo in the tavern and then he takes that like sauron metal stick thing or whatever and you know he like runs out and and he like you know he like I think he like stabs his arms like that to ignite it with his blood or something like that and it's like some sort of burning sword but not quite so he like runs ends up running outside and he like jumps into the well like the height he's like you know hanging on Elrond the the elf dude he's talking to this Celebrimbor guy whatever then he goes to Princess Diza so pr- the pr- the Prince Durin's wife and he's not there she said that he's like off somewhere but then you know he kind of calls her and it's like and you know why are you making his favorite meal when you know where you say he's at is more than a day's journey and, and there's like something else i forgot what was going on so then durin and disa talk later and it says that they're making good progress in the old mines elrond was like off a distance but he was like listening you know because they i guess they have super ears and super eyesight so then he goes to the old mine durin isn't happy when he sees him he he um accuses him of, of wanting it for himself and Elrond's like I have no interest in whatever you know what, whatever you're talking about he's like I only care about you and and so Durin says that he wants his oath before he tells him what it's about you know he has to swear him to secrecy type of thing so then he takes out this case I'm like oh is there a ring of power in there but no they found a new ore and it's lighter than silk it's harder than iron so he's like as weaponry it would make the finest sword and you know it's it's would be dearer than gold. It's going to be so valuable. So you know Elrond's like looking at this piece, and he goes to give it back. He's like, "Why don't you keep that as a token of our friendship or something like that?" Then there's this rumbling, whatever. There's a big cave-in, and Durin's like, "There's four elves down there." You know, he wants to go in there. But Elrond's like, "We got to get out of here." Galadriel's like restless in her cell, like kind of pacing. Then the Chancellor comes in and tells Galadriel that the Queen has made her decision, so she is to sail home tonight. Her, and her, you know, her cell doors open. Galadriel starts fighting. She manages to shove the, the few guards into the cell. Then she goes to the king's chamber, and the queen's there. You know, she starts talking, and she's like, "Oh," she says that he, you know, she's like, "I need to talk to your majesty." Or the queen's like, "He no longer responds to, you know, your majesty, whatever." And she's like, "A garrison is waiting outside to escort you to your ship." Then her father starts like coughing, whatever, and Galadriel's like, you know, forgive me, I didn't know like his how far gone he was in his condition. And the queen's like, no one knows, you know, how fast he deteriorated, you know. And she's like, I'd like to keep it that way. So Galadriel says, okay, it's it's time to exchange truths. You know, the king was loyal to the elvish ways. Why are you not? And she's like, tell me, please. And the queen says that her father was always restrained in his beliefs. And when he announced plans to make peace with the elves, whatever, the people rebelled. So the queen, she shows Galadriel like the stone they have. And, you know, there's six others that are either lost or hidden. So she tells her to put her hands on it. She warns her and Galadriel's like, I've touched these before or whatever. So she touches it. She gets this vision. And then she sees like the wave come and smash into her. And Galadriel has to like flinch back. Then the queen says that Numenor's future is, is what she just saw. So the vision begins with Galadriel's arrival 
so basically she's saying that for whatever reason Numenor is going to get flooded by something the the Rowan the, the kid that went to the town with Theo he returns with some food and and Bronwyn's like where's Theo and he's like oh I thought he was right behind me Theo is trying to hide from the orcs uh, you know then they they find him they I think they want the thing that he has the the Sauron thing then Arendir arrives to save him um he starts like shooting arrows and stuff like that, just taking them all out. So Arendir is going to take him back, but then a, a tor- the orcs attack, so lots of shooting. Then Bronwyn shows up, so they, they make it to a clearing out in the woods, and now it's like sunrise, and the, since the orcs hate the sun, they won't go out there. Outside the mines, Durin says that they're safe. Um, Elrond's like talking about quests and stuff like that. Then Durin, Durin talks to his dad, uh, the king, about you know going somewhere on a, a quest or whatever. Bronwyn thanks Arendir for saying saving Theo. Then he says he has a message. Her people may live if they forsake all claims to these lands and if they swear fealty to him. And she's like, well, what happens if we refuse? And he's like, he's coming to Orstriths or whatever the place is. So Theo takes out the metal thing. He hides it when he hears someone coming. It's this old dude. He gives him a pouch, some drink. Then he shows him the mark on his arm. It's the same that Theo has from the the metal thing. And when Theo starts to show him his arm, he like roughly grabs it. He says that, you know, does he know what what this is? You know, it's no sword, it's power fashioned from our ancestors by his master's own hand. Then he asks if he's heard of Sauron. He's like, he's coming. So I don't know what Theo's getting himself into or got himself into, but it's it's not going to be good. Then this arc goes orc goes arc. This orc goes to Adar, and then he's like, "We found it. It's in the tower." So I don't know if he's talking about the the Sauron thing. Galadriel goes to her ship. Several soldiers and people are there to make sure she gets on. She looks back at the queen, and then the chancellor tells her the you know, people will be relieved. So they walk, and then the queen sees uh, like the tree blossoms blowing in the wind, just like in a vision. She looks at Elendil, whatever, and then there's like a voiceover to Queen in like a different language saying the faithful believe that when the petals of the white tree fall, it is no idle thing, but the very tears of the valors themselves. A living reminder that their eyes and their judgment are ever upon us. The hour upon us is in which each of us, everyone must decide who we shall be. She says she's decided to personally escort the elf back to middle earth so then they uh, i forget if it's a chancellor someone's like ask for volunteers to go on a ship isildril's sons two friends volunteer and then he does too then everyone else like was raising their hand saying that they'll serve so not really sure what all that was are they supportive of the elves or i I no idea what's going on and i i see that's i feel like i don't know it was like was i falling asleep as i was watching this because i was so tired thursday night it's just there's just so much going on, and I like I, I can I get what Galadriel's doing. You know the fact that she's like obsessed with trying to find and make sure Sauron is defeated. I'm curious about Hallbrand. I there's no mention is is he just going to stay locked up in Numenor, or you, I would think Galadriel would be like, hey, how about you let this guy come with? But I'm sure he'll get out or something. Uh, who knows? But that was a that was a, the latest episode. Okay, then Cobra Kai, season five. Uh, I, so I really like this show, but so far, I've, I've only watched the first three episodes as I record this. And 
I they're they're good. They're fine. I I'm sure the season is going to get better, and I I think it got good reviews. I'm just so far behind. So as I watch this, you know, part of me is is what's ruining my enjoyment is the fact that I feel compelled to watch all these. So now, even now, it's like, man, I'm only watching three episodes. I feel like such a failure in you know covering this. So I and. It, it's like, why couldn't they have released this? I thought it was supposed to come out in August or something like that. Or maybe it was supposed to come out December and then they moved it to September. I don't know. But I just, I wish I had more time or that there wasn't as many other shows. I, I don't know. So, so far, the first three episodes are good. But Daniel's just, he, he's, he's getting to be too too much how he's so obsessed with this. So it's it starts off. So episode one, long, long way from home. There's like this Cobra Kai ad, you know, everything's very slick. Terry Silver, um, you know, he must have spent a bit of money on this. And then we see Daniel, actually, you know, someone's swimming laps in a pool. It's actually a naked Chosen. So Chosen is a dude from Karate Kid 2 who Daniel like called over. Amanda isn't happy that Daniel flew him all the way out there and he's letting him live with them. that He's swimming naked. And she's mad because Daniel said that this would be the end, you know, after the tournament, that it would all be over. But Daniel says that with Terry in charge, you know, he's worried about him brainwashing all the kids in the valley. But it's like, are you really, you know, concerned about that? Or is it just you're you're mad because things aren't going your way? You know, the kids in the valley, you're not responsible for them. You're not like the spokesperson. or And I get that, you know, he is concerned, but... You know, people need to make their own decision. I, I don't know. It just seems how he feels like it's it's up to him that he has to do this. Or is it just because he was defeated so he feels, and, you know, because of their past connection? I don't know. And then in, uh, uh, I think, Sueta, in Mexico, Miguel gets off a bus. He's confused because, you know, he has no phone service, of, of course. Then there's, like, this Australian dude with some friends. They offer to help. He says, you know, he's looking for this address, so they show him on the map. And then, then he, you know, he's about to get the map, but they're like, uh, "How about like five bucks for it?" And Miguel's like, "Sure." And then the dude's like, this, uh, "How much for the, this bag?" So he took his backpack when he set it down to get out his wallet, and the guy he wants a reward for finding his bag and everything like that. So then he's like, "Well, how much you want?" And then you know, he gives him some money, and the guy doesn't take it all. He's like, "Well, I'm not, you know, a monster, or whatever." I thought is like, okay, Miguel's going to use his karate move, right, to take these guys out. But he doesn't. He just gives them money, even though they basically robbed him. Johnny and Robbie are in Mexico, too, so they, they drove down there. They're at, like, this convenience store, and Johnny's showing uh, Robbie all the stuff that he bought. He's like, look, I got some Mexican Cokes. And Robbie's like, I'm pretty sure they're just regular Cokes. And he's like, I got Mexican candy and a cell phone with 60 minutos on it. He's like, that's like 300 Ameri- American minutes. And he's he's like also got you this. He's like this bobblehead dog with a sombrero and a welcome to Mexico like sign. And he's like, don't say it's offensive because I, I bought it here, so it's their ideas. And then it's like the final gift. He got him an FBI shirt. It says FBI in the front, and on the other side it says female body inspector. And Johnny's like, I got one for myself too. But at this point, it's it's like it doesn't feel like Miguel. Or it doesn't seem like Robbie knows that they're looking for Miguel. I wasn't really clear on what was said, you know, because he's calling this like a you know father son like bonding trip. So Daniel talks his do- dojo. Sam's bummed. Uh, you know, they said that they'd close a dojo if they lost, and that's you know so exactly what they're going to do. So he's like, as of today, I'm shutting down Miyagi Do Karate, and they're like, what? 
And he's like, with everything going on, you know, Cobra Kai operating uh, at Miyagi-Do puts a target on their back. So he has to keep them safe. But Miyagi-Do stays alive in all of them. So the kids leave. Sam's like, this can't be your plan. And then she's like, this is all my fault. Because, you know, she lost the tournament, whatever. Daniel's like, no, it's my fault. And he's like, with Johnny gone, it's up to me to fix this. And he's like, you know, I, I know Silver and, you know, I worry about the kids getting hurt. So Miguel arrives at the address that he had. He goes inside. There's like this cantina. He sees some dude in the back room. So I guess that's supposed to be Hector. So this this dude, he's like, oh, I haven't seen you around here before. And then he's like, I'm Miguel Diaz. And there's like no reaction. He's like, my mother is Carmen Diaz. And then he's like, I'm from Ecuador. And this guy, Hector, he's like, is there something wrong with your head? And then he tells his goon, he's like, get him out of here. And Miguel like kind of twists the guy's arm, you know, and then he like hits him when he comes at him. And Hector laughs. And the other dudes like stand up. And Miguel's like, I just want answers. And then Hector just keeps laughing. He's like, I'm not the guy you're looking for. He's like, I never knew a flipping Carmen. And Miguel's like, I'm sorry, whatever. And he leaves. And Hector calls him an idiot. So Robbie's not too happy. So I guess he found out, you know, they go down to Mexico and you know, he never once said that they were going after Miguel. Johnny's like, well, you know, I wasn't lying. You know, I, I do want to fix our relationship. But when I heard Miguel was in trouble, I had to do something. You know, I couldn't just leave you at home. He's like, I'm not doing that. And he's like, besides, you know, I, I, I need your help to find Miguel. And Robbie's like, do you have a plan? And he says, he's like, well, I know Miguel is looking for Hector Salazar. And I know, he, you know, he's getting off the, the bus. So he'll ask her around, you know, so he's like, I'll just ask if anyone's seen Miguel. And Robbie's like, is that your plan? And he's like, well, that's not all. He's like, if, if we come up dry, we'll check the Mexican phone book. <laughs> so Robbie's like, we drove over a thousand miles just to check a phone book. And he's like, I could be at home with Tori. And Johnny's like, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I, th- I thought this would, would help, uh, you know, you and Miguel get over your poop. And, you know, so then when they get, he's like, when we get to the bus station, if you want, I'll, I'll buy you a ticket home. And then Johnny's like, he almost like hits a pickup truck and they like swerve off the road. They don't hit anything, but it sounds like the, the car is kaput. Like that wasn't really good. Daniel and Chosen are watching uh, Terry's announcement about opening more Cobra Kai's. Daniel says that, you know, they have to cut the head off the snake. And Joseph, Chosen's like, I can do that. And he pulls out two sighs. And he, then he's like, oh, they're for blocking, not hitting and gouging and, and clawing. But Daniel says, he's like, I didn't mean it literally. He's like, put those away before Amanda sees them. So he's like, we have to expose Silver for who he really is. Sam's in a dojo, like doing some like moves or whatever, you know, training or thinking about her fight with Tori. And she's watching a fight like on a laptop. And she's like kind of like just going through the whole thing. She gets a call from Miguel and she asks if he's okay because, you know, she's been calling him. And then he says that he went to find his dad. And she's like, your mom is worried. And he's like, yeah, I knew people would try to stop me. And she's like, your mom and and grandpa or grandma left Ecuador because your dad was dangerous. Then she's like, you're not going to ask about the tournament. She's like, you knew how important fighting Tori was. She's like, you're not going to ask if I won or lost. And Miguel's like, he's like, how are you making this about you now? And she's like, I'm not, I just thought that you'd be in my corner. And Miguel's like, well, what about my corner? And she has no idea how, you know, things are then you know there there are more important things in karate and she's like yeah there are and she hangs up so i don't know who's at fault like who's worse because okay you know the thing is the the fight was a big deal for her and it wasn't just about the fight it was about her versus tori which there is a bit extreme you know i i 
I, I, I think at, at times Sam has been not a good person, you know, that somehow she's, you know, she's kept pushing things, you know, Tori's going through a lot. She's trying to do the right things at times, but then Sam keeps digging in and then Tori just gets defensive because that's her, her first instinct, whatever. But then Miguel just takes off, you know, it's not even there. He couldn't just like wait a little bit for, for Sam to, you know, go hurt. He just leaves. He doesn't even watch. And then he takes off and Sam's not like, Hey, how you doing? Did you find what's going on? But then also at the same time, yeah. So they're, they're both at fault, I guess, whatever. So she hangs up and then Miguel sees this guy at the back of a cantina. And I was like, the other guy's like, Hey Hector, whatever. And he, then Miguel's like, dad. So maybe the other guy wasn't Hector. Johnny has no idea. He's like, where's the lug wrench in this car? He's like, I can't believe LaRusso sold this or, or you, whatever. It was he didn't sell it to him. Whatever. Then Robbie, he's looking at him. Then he opens this like compartment thing and he like shows him. And he's like, remember I lived here in here for a while? So Robbie's like, how'd you end up getting this car? And then Johnny's like, well, I went, you know, looking for you after you went missing. You know, me and LaRusso tried to, to find you and we found his hunk of junk instead. You know, found another guy driving it and followed him to a chop shop. You know, we ended up fighting the D-bags who stole it. Robbie's like, I had no idea. And Johnny says, he's like, I know I haven't been there for you, you know, more times than I can count. I, but I also failed Miguel. He's like, he's the reason that Miguel ran off here in the first place. So he's trying to fix his mistakes so he doesn't have to live with the re regret. He tells Robbie that if he's serious about making things right, he can start by helping Miguel. So he calls uh, Carmen. You know, she hasn't heard from him, but, you know, Sam called her. She's worried and thinks that maybe she should come down. And, he, and Johnny's like, no. He's like, you know, you shouldn't put yourself in danger. He's like, I'll find Miguel. And Robbie hears all this. So I couldn't really tell if, if he's, like, bummed that Johnny's being concerned. Or I would like to think that maybe Robbie's like, wow, my dad's actually, he cares. He's, you know, trying to do the right thing. So it's not. You know, it's not just about him and Miguel. He's trying to help Carmen, and he's trying to help this kid and, and keep her safe. I don't know. So there's a Cobra Kai grand opening. There's a lot of people going in. Daniel and Chosen are, you know, sitting in the car watching. That stupid new kid, Kenny, is there. Chosen can see um, Silver sparring with some kids through the windows. And then he says that he's like, I've seen these moves before. And Daniel's like, where? He's like, Kim Sun Young. So then there's a, a flashback to Karate Kid 3. Um, Silver introduces himself to Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. He says his, his master is Kim Sun-young of South Korea. His teacher sends his respects. So Daniel's like, wait, that's a real person? It was just so weird. It's like all these years ago, I wouldn't remember. Like someone said, yeah, my, my instructor was, was, you know, Joe Johnson. I wouldn't remember that. But at Miyagi-Do Chosen says that his uncle didn't speak much of Sun Young, but he knows that he had much anger towards him. Miyagi had left before World War II. Kim Sung Young became known during the Korean War. He taught many American soldiers. He was a master in art, but that's not what he taught. His style was uh, controversial. He demonstrates the moves against Daniel, um, and before the bow is even over, he grabs him by the throat. And he says, that, you know, the style is based on deception. There's no honor, no mercy. Daniel's like, he's like, I don't want to attack. I just want to expose him. And Chosen's like, to catch a serpent, one must think like the serpent. We will use his style against him. So Miguel's watching this other Hector dude. You know, he's talking to people, shaking hands, hugging, you know, through the market, walking up. He goes up to this woman, he kisses her, and there's like this little kid. It's like, this is his son. 
Miguel gets a little sad. Then uh, the, the kid's ball rolls to Miguel. He, like, bounces it, you know, whatever, hands it to him. Then he's like, oh, my name is Miguel in Spanish. And the, the kid gets called by his mom. Then at the bus place, Johnny gives Robbie some money for ticket and snacks. So a guy told Johnny that he thinks he saw Miguel talking to some surfers. And he's like, hey, I'm sorry I dragged you into this. You know, then he goes to talk to them, describes Miguel, the, the lead dude. He's like, oh, yeah, I gave him some directions. He's like, well, you know, it'd be easier if I just showed you. So he asked one of his dudes, he's like, hey, can I have a map? So, so like, how many maps do they have? As he's writing on a map, the other guy goes to pickpocket Johnny's wallet. He feels it, twists the guy's arm. He's like, bad idea. And he kicks him. He asks the lead dude, he's like, what's the scam? You know, give me a bum address and try to see my wallet. The dude's like, no, the address is real. As for the money, you know, I'm going to end up with it either way. So we can do this the easy way or the fun way. Then he's like, okay, listen, a-hole, you have five seconds to tell me which way that kid went. Or I'm going to take that surfboard and shove it so far up your ass, your friends are going to be surfing you. So the dude chuckles, the fun way. <laughs> Want a piece of fruit? <laughs> Another dude moves to like put like a leash or something or some cord around Johnny's neck from behind. But Robbie comes at him with a flying kick. So there's a fight. Now it's four against two. No problem, right? Lead guy comes at Johnny swinging the surfboard. He punches it and it like hurts his hand. The guy swings the board again. Like just, you know, Johnny just barely ducks and he kicks it, breaks it in half. Robbie follows by kicking the dude and, you know, he knocks him down. Johnny finishes by slamming the dude's like boom box on it. So it's a big fight. It lasted longer than that, but you get the idea. Miguel's still at the market following Hector and his family like a big creep. Dumb kid, uh, little kid, ball rolls in the street. So he goes for it. And SV starts like honking. And the mama like, calls his name. Miguel grabs the kid to safety. But it's like the car, it's like, okay, you had time to honk. You could like slam on your brakes or do something. So Miguel ends up saving the, the kid. And then uh, Hector thanks Miguel, and he's like, Miguel's like, oh, I was just in the right place at the right time. And Hector's like, where are you from? You know, because of his accent. He's like, oh, I'm American. And Dunces, we are lucky. Our paths crossed. So he like says that in English. Uh, the kid's mom wants to repay him. He's like, no, no, it's, it's fine. And she's like, please have dinner with us. And Hector's like, we insist. Of course he's going to go. The guy says his name is Hector Salazar. Then he says it's strange. He's like, it feels like we've met somewhere before. Miguel's like, oh, I don't think we have. Then Hector's like, well, maybe you're a stranger, but tonight you're family, okay? Johnny and Robbie are drinking cold Cokes and they're icing their faces. Uh, Johnny says that, you know, the trip's a disaster. Robbie's like, well, not completely. He's like, you know, technically you, trans you kidnapped and transported a minor across the border, but we got a good story out of it. Johnny's like, yeah. He, then he says, okay, well, the bus will be here soon. You know, you should go. He's like, this is my mess to clean up. Robbie's like, you're right, but I'm going to stay. You know, he's like, you're, you're trying to make things right, and I want to help you. At least now we know where we're going because of the map. Then we see Daniel locking up Miyagi-Do Karate. Silver is talking about that this is a momentous day. Their competition is closing shop, and the valley now looks to them to lead the way. We also see Johnny and Robbie enjoying the Mexican candy in the car. Miguel's eating dinner with Hector and the family. Silver says, he's like, we're strangers, but we won't be for long. This is a, you know, it's the start of something special. Amanda is happy to see Daniel sitting by the pool in a Hawaiian shirt with a drink. So she's assuming he's calming down. He's like waiting for her. Silver continues his talk, says Cobra Kai has more students than ever before. That means they'll need more senseis. So he's talking to a bunch of dudes uh, that are standing at, at, in the dojo. He says that he's going to ask them to do more than what's expected, which means he's going to pay them more than what's expected. He's like, but first, you must prove yourself in the way of the fist. It's time to see if you're worthy. 
welcome to Cobra Kai. And as it pans down, so I'm like, okay, the last guy is going to be the dude from the that the Daniel fought Karate Kid three, right? The silver had him fight, but nope, the last dude is chosen. So chosen has managed to infiltrate Cobra Kai. Episode five hundred two Mole. So it's Okinawa, 1972. We see a young um, Sato. He's training. He and he, young Chosen is there, and like kind of cutting corners, like with this. They're like thrusting their hands into like a bowl of rice or something like that. And it's supposed to like, I guess the heart. I don't know. But then he like he's like, "Do you want to be tough? Do you want to be a man?" or something like that. And then I guess this is supposed to be a start of his training. In the present, Silver's talking about. The, he's like, "You are all the future." He's talking to the kids. He's like, the championship is a springboard to new heights. He's like, that's why I brought in some of the finest senseis in the valley. And Tori comes in, um, annoying Kenny asks, she's like, did you bring the trophy? And she's like, no. And because she's kind of bummed about the fact that she won the trophy, but she overheard the, the fact that Silver paid off the ref to make things go in her way. So she knows that she didn't necessarily win, honestly. Chosen goes up to Tori to spar, and he's... he's you know, mentions how she's a champion or whatever. He's like, oh, so I won't have to go easy on you. Johnny and Robbie are still looking for Hector. This guy tries um, telling him to move his van that's parked in the street because he says he's in a tow zone, but Johnny has no clue what he's saying and then, and then he ends up getting towed. Miguel is, but it, it's, it's like Robbie was there, but Robbie didn't understand what the guy was saying either. So pause on that thought. John, uh, Miguel's still at Hector's then he starts talking to him but then the son runs through with the mom and Miguel asks if he thinks of having more and then he's like oh no he's not not mine he's like it's from her previous marriage he's like I almost did you know I got married and we talked about having kids but then she left and then Hector he's like oh you know it's like I want to take you to some place so Chosen scoffs at Tori says that you know she's better than this he talks about honor and freeing your mind and he does some some more moves and silver like sees this and he like recognizes his style which is like is that really a good idea johnny um mentions that the impound yard wants four thousand pesos he's like that's like a million dollars robbie's like uh that's actually like two hundred dollars and johnny's like well still we you know we need more money robbie sees some people eating like spicy peppers and he's like oh i know what that is from watching hot ones with mom so he basically, um, he's sitting at a table. They're like betting like who can eat more or whatever like that. You know, you put the money down. So there's like this jar of peppers and, you know, I guess they're taking turns seeing whatever. And the, the dude that's eating, he's like totally cool and calm. And like Robbie's like starting to sweat and stuff like that. Then he asks for the hottest one. Then they're like, bring in El Dragon. Miguel finally calls his mom. And he's like, you lied to me. He's like, he doesn't even know I exist. And you know, he's like, nothing like you said. He's like, I missed out on so much because of you. And then Hector like calls out to him, and then he hangs up on his mom. El Dragon is brought. Robbie does some karate meditating. He takes it, but then it's like, did he palm it? You know, whatever. He because he's doing, you know, puts his hands together, and he's like, whatever. Then he puts it in his mouth, starts gobbling up like that. But then you know, he ate it. So then the other guy, he he eats his. Um, he's like chewing it. Then he starts heating up, whatever. Then he guzzles down his milk. So Robbie wins. Silver wants to talk to Chosen more. He's like, oh, we should have dinner at my house or whatever. And he, so he wants to hear how a Japanese master ended up in the valley or whatever. Tori wants to talk to Silver. Um, he asks if she's ready to take things to the next level. And she's like, well, what's the point? It's like, you'll just pay to make me a champion again. And he looks at her. He's like, oh, so you know about the ref. And he's like, have you told anyone else? And she's like, well, not yet. And he's like, 
I just paid, you know, to be safe, but you're a champion. And he says that he knows that she and Sensei Kreese had a connection. You know, he didn't have to scrape and claw his way to the top like she did, but he learned to use every advantage in your favor. And he's like, she's like, so does that mean cheating too? And Silver says that the tournament was a matter of Cobra Kai's survival. He's like, if a person steals food to survive, are they cheating or are they doing what they, what must be done? So he wants her here, but he's like, but if you choose to leave, I won't stop you. He's like, the decision is yours. In the van, Robbie's like chugging milk, whatever. And Johnny's like, I don't know how you ate that last chili. And Robbie's like, I didn't. And he's like, he so he ended up eating like a piece of Mexican candy that he, I guess he happened to have, whatever. So he palmed the other one and, and switched it. Carmen calls Johnny. Uh, Miguel doesn't know the kind of man Hector is. And then she heard him mention El Hoyo Verde when he was on the phone. So now they know where they can go. It turns out it's like this like kind of MMA fighting place. You know, there's like a like a big octagon mat cage, whatever, in the middle. Hector's talking to all the different people. Miguel's like, oh, you're like the mayor. And Hector's like, well, I made a lot of money back in the day, but you know, it wasn't always in the restaurant business. And he's like, it was where you make friends in high places. Daniel talks to Chosen. He, you know, he's trying to um, get him dressed, but Daniel's suits are a little too small because you know he's going to go over to to Silver Terry's place. Daniel talks about how Silver will do things to make you feel special to get you on his side. He's like, that's what he did to me. So he goes over there. They drink and eat like this fillet, hamo or something, whatever like that. He drinks like this expensive like whiskey or something. Talk about their masters. Chosen said that he was trained by his uncle because his, his father died by cowardice. And, and he's like, says something about rivalries aren't, I forget what it was, something. Um, Johnny and Robbie arrive. They, they go to the place. They're wearing their the FBI shirts. They start asking for Hector. It's like, I don't know if that's the best idea. So as, as they're like asking around, this dude calls Hector to warn him that, you know, there are the people looking for him. Then Hector asks Miguel, he's like, who are you on the phone with? And he's like, uh, my mom. Hector's like, were you following me? And he's like, are you with the feds? And he's like, give me your phone. And he's like, don't make me ask again. So then he looks like at his, his call list. Then he starts looking at his pictures. And he just misses, you know, and he, he sees it. He's like, okay, I'm overreacting. So he, he flipped onto a picture of Miguel with his mom and his grandma. There's like cheers from a fight or something like that. And they, they kind of distract him. So he like hands his phone back. Then Hector sees Johnny and Robbie and he tells Miguel, he's like, you know, we should get out of here, go somewhere else. And as they're walking away, they're like on an upper level. Johnny sees Miguel, tries calling him, but it's, it's too loud. A few bouncer goons try stopping him and Johnny hits him in the nose. Uh, then he tries like kicking him, but the guy grabs his leg. Robbie tries coming at him, but Johnny's like, no, he's like, I got this. And then like this, uh, fighter champion dude or whatever, he's got Johnny pinned Robbie. Um, then he throws a pepper to, to John, Robbie throws a pepper to Johnny. Cause he, he's still holding it. He's, I don't know why he kept it in his pocket. And then Johnny like squeezes the peppers in his eyes and he kicks him. And so that's how he wins. Silver shows chosen like his sword collection. And he's talking about how, you know, he didn't have kids. Cobra Kai is his legacy. But, you know, they're already the biggest dojo in the valley. But he has bigger plans. And Chozo asks what they are. And he said, like, well, that's something I'd tell my right-hand man. He's like, unless you're, you're saying you want the job. Hector, um, he wants to lay low. And he's so he's been drinking a lot of, like, tequila or whatever like that. And Miguel's like, well, I, I could just drive you home. He's like, what about, I think her name was Rebecca. I forgot. He's like, what about her and the kid? He's like, oh, they'll be fine. He's like, she only wants my money. He's like, you know, people always come after what's yours. And then he pulls out a gun. And he's like, 
I can't go back home to Ecuador. And Miguel's like, what happened there? And he's like, success. He says, you know, that woman I told you about, you know, we got married when I was practically your age. He's like, don't make that mistake. It's like, she couldn't stand, you know, me doing my business. And her mother was even worse. They tried to mess with me. You know, the people in Ecuador, he's like, you know what I regret? Nothing. He's like, that's the cost of doing business. So Miguel's like really bummed by this. And he's like, well, you know, I should probably get going. But, you know, he's, isn't his stuff at his house? It's like, it was kind of weird. He goes outside and he's like almost in tears, calls his mom. You know, he's crying. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, you were right. And then Johnny's like, Miguel. He, so somehow he finds him in the streets. I don't know how he knew to go there. Miguel tells mom he's okay. He's like, I'm coming home. Johnny and Miguel hug. Then Robbie comes out, sees him hugging and his face, you know, he's kind of happy. And then he, he kind of gets serious. Tori comes into the dojo with, with the, the trophy. Uh, she tells Silver that she's back. Um, and she's like, where is everyone? And he's like, oh, there's no class today. He's like, I have other business to take care of. So Chosen shows up, and he's like, then he asks if he's ready. So the other senseis come in, and he tells him, this was, he's like, you weren't exactly honest. And Chosen, so he knows that his name is Chosen. He figured out when they drank, because he said something that they say in Okinawa or something like that. Um, Cause when he did this cheer or when they said cheers for the drink, uh, he said that he drank with someone from that place in Japan and they always said this thing, but he didn't say it. And he said something that Okinawan say or something. So somehow he was able to figure out that he was chosen or something like that. So he tells the, the sensei, he's like, anyone who takes him down gets a job. And it's like, and I'll pay triple. So there's these six dorks are all kind of like, like kind of flexing or whatever. Chosen like mops the floor with them. I mean, it's like really impressive. He takes most of them out with like one blow. Uh, like I'm pretty sure he's breaking some bones. I don't know. I mean, that's what it looks like. The last guy, he gets like this choke move, like where he, he just pokes him with a finger, like by his clavicle or something like that. And then he just like lets him fall. And then Chosen tells Silver, he's like, leave the LaRusso family alone or you will beg for mercy. And then he like leaves and Silver just kind of like stares. And I don't know if he's like, trying to smile or whatever he's like if he is scared or intimidated or pissed or what that's how the second episode ends then episode 503 playing with fire daniel chosen and uh the other two um his cousins or whatever that they, they went golfing silver shows up at the country club too and silver says he's like oh sabotaging my dojo wasn't a good idea he's like you may have old friends to call upon but not as many as i do so then he says that he's giving Daniel the opportunity to stand down right now. Daniel's like, this is my backyard, blah, 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 whatever. And Silver says that he's like, oh, I like this attitude of confidence you have now, but I'm letting you know if you continue down this path, nothing in your life will ever be the same again. Miguel's home. He made a breakfast for his mom and grandma. He tells his mom, he's like, I'll never do anything like this again. Johnny comes in and then she asks him when like Miguel's like in, looking for milk or something in the fridge. She's like, how are things with you and Robbie? And he's like, well, they're fine. You know, he's like, it got a little quiet on the ride home, but you know, things between him and Miguel will still take a little time to sort. Then Carmen takes a bite of the strange breakfast and then she runs to throw up in the bathroom. So what's your immediate thought when you hear, or, you know, she's going to throw up, you know, could the food, one bite of food be that bad? Then we see Sam sitting on a couch and she's in her sweats, like eating some like dessert stuff or whatever. Cause her brother comes in and I, you know, he mentions that, you know, he's, he has, he's having being hassled by a kid from 
Cobra Kai. She's like, you mean the kid who you put milk in his locker or whatever that you terrorize for a year? So it's like kind of like he deserves it. Daniel and Chosen are talking. They may have uh, slowed Terry down, but they still need to figure out what he's doing. He said that, you know, he, he Terry said he was going to call old friends. Chosen says that they need to call the old friends first. He says, does he know of any of them? Daniel thinks. Mike Fudging Barnes. So the guy that he had to fight from Karate Kid 3. Carmen says that she felt she's been feeling sick lately. You know, it's probably stress. But then she tells Johnny that she thinks she might be pregnant. And he's like, how? He's like, we use protection. She's like, well, it's not 100%. Hawk gets this other tattoo. Miguel's there. Dimitri's there. He, uh, Miguel's still waiting to hear back from Sam. Uh, she texted, they should talk tonight. And Dimitri's like, and Hawk, they're like, oh, that's code for we should break up. And so they're like trying to talk to him, like what he should say or do or whatever. Daniel and Chosen, they see Barnes. So they're going to follow him. Uh, Carmen and Johnny, they go to like a whatever store to buy pregnancy test. And then Daniel or Johnny sees like a, this dad with like a baby and a baby Bjorn and like carrying all this stuff. And he's like kind of like sweating or something like that. And Johnny's like starting to freak out. Daniel sneaks into this warehouse where Barnes went. And then, you know, he's hiding behind some crates, some boxes, whatever. And he's on the phone. He talks about a guy who flew in from Japan. And he says, he's like, yeah, by the time I'm done with them, he's like, they won't be recognizable. And he has like some like power tools like that. He's like, I think I'll start by cutting off their legs. And so then Daniel runs up to him, grabs the phone. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to let you harm any of my students. And then Barnes like, Daniel LaRusso? He's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And the lady's like, who is this? It's like some lady on the phone. So it turns out Barnes owns a furniture store. Then John, we see Johnny, he Googles how to get ready for a baby. He watches this video. He tries swaddling a six pack. He throws like all this old food, takes down like a, this picture he has on a wall, a woman like bikini. He finds out like a roach on a couch and he lifts up the cushion. There's like several of them. He's like spraying the house with like, you know, pesticide or whatever. And then he stops at a point, picks up a beer on the counter, starts drinking it, even though it wasn't covered, which is like, that's not, not okay. Daniel apologizes to Barnes. You know, he's like, oh, you don't have to. You know, he's like, I've been wanting to apologize to you, you know, all this time. He's like, after the All-Valley Tournament, I was lost. You know, I was banned from karate. And then he ended up meeting his father, his future father-in-law at this furniture store. So he says that, you know, this place used to be his, whatever. And so, you know, he's running the store. Um, Sam went to a spa with Moon and their one other friend. And then she's supposed to go into sensory, like, deprivation pod thing to try to find herself and stuff like that. So she's, and this is not how it works, but, you know, she's in this, like, it's total blackness, and she starts seeing, like, all the other people. And then finally, there's, like, in distance, like, Tori's there. And then it ends up being Sam, but wearing, like, a black, whatever, pajama thing. They end up fighting, you know, evil Sam, dark Sam has, like, two sides, and regular Sam has picks up, like, a staff, and they're, like, fighting and stuff like that. And then she, like, gets snapped out of it because Moon, like, opens up the pod, and she's like, oh, I had the most amazing, you know, vision and whatever. Daniel's still talking to Barnes, and, like, throughout this, I'm like, can he really be trusted? You know, is this another scam on, on Silver's part? So now Daniel's wondering if there's something Barnes could say to help him. You know, he's relieved that there's actually a Cobra Kai who doesn't want to fight him. Then Chosen comes in, and he sees... You know, because and uh, Barnes is like, oh, yeah. And he's like kind of like faking like he's fighting. He's like, well, maybe we should get a rematch like that. So Chosen comes in 
And then he he attacks. He kicks like Barnes. He goes smashing into his table. He's like, no mercy, whatever. And then Daniel, he's like, try stopping. He gets knocked down. And it almost looks like, it, see, this is where it's a little misleading. Because at one point, Chosen like stomps on, on, on Barnes' legs. It looks like he snapped his leg. But he obviously didn't. And then Daniel falls when he gets knocked on the ground. He like hits his shoulder. And it's like, did something snap or whatever? So Daniel keeps trying to, you know, stop him. Then he, another point, you know, he, he gets and tries to get in the middle and then chosen swings and Daniel gets hit in the face instead of, of, of Barnes. So then he's like, this is just a big misunderstanding, whatever. And then chosen is like, Oh, misunderstanding. Then we better call an ambulance. They look outside by the, like the loading dock. And there's like four or five or like four dudes like knocked out on the ground. So chosen took them all out. Miguel goes to Johnny's for some advice you know, then he's like, what's that smell? And Johnny's like, oh, it's paint thinner or pesticide. I don't know. So uh, he's like putting together some new furniture. You know, everything's like changing in there. Miguel wants advice on Sam. You know, he thinks that she's still mad because he just left. They haven't really sp- spoken in a while and he's not sure what to say. And so it's like, okay, here it comes, right? Typical Johnny advice. But then he's like, just tell her the truth. He's like, we all get things wrong from time to time. He's like, just be honest, you know, see where it goes from there. And Miguel's like, that's that's some good advice. And Johnny's he's like almost surprised that he came up with some good advice. Barnes, Daniel, and uh, Chosen are like icing themselves. Uh, Chosen's like, oh, because he's like on this like suede sofa. And then he's like, how much? He's like, well, normally it's it's twelve hundred, but for you, two thousand. <laughs> Because he's mad at him. Barnes mentioned Silver had a shady lawyer because, you know, he doesn't know how to help him. You know, he's like, uh, what kind of attorney puts in writing that, you know, have to terrorize a teenager? So then Barnes said that he made him put it in writing or something like that. And he's like, the guy did promise him like 50% of Cobra Kai. Daniel's like, if people knew that contract existed, Silver's reputation would be destroyed. And he's like, tell me you still have it. And he's like, I don't think so. It's like, why would he have that still? He's like, uh, but I could probably put you in contact with, you know, I could give you an attorney's name. So Daniel leaves a message, you know, ex- explaining that he needs, it's, you know, it's important that he gets back to him, you know, ASAP, whatever. Uh, and then you see outside, like, Chosen, and he bought the, the suede couch. Miguel meets Sam at the dojo. He apologizes or something like that. You know, he says he was trying to figure out his path, but, he, you know, he, he didn't even think about her. She's like, no, you don't have to explain. She's like, you know, I was only thinking myself. I was wrapped up in the tournament. I respect you for taking the time to find yourself. But now I need that time, too. She's like, ever since my dad opened a dojo, karate's been my whole life. It's affected all my relationship, you know, with families, with friends, with you. She's like, I just need a little break to figure out, you know, who I am outside of all that. And he's like, a break like a break from karate break from me and she's like i just i need to figure myself out you know it's not i can't go forward whatever and she's like but it doesn't mean we can't be friends and so then they hug and miguel's like oh yeah we, we it doesn't mean we can't be friends so miguel leaves and he starts crying and you know it's like like you know two steps he's like crying already he around the corner you know reaches his pocket he's got a oh because he went to a jewelry store and he was going to get this like octopus because there's something like the first season when they went miniature golfing or whatever. There's like something. So he got her this. It was like, I think it was like almost like $200. So he, you know, he he takes out the necklace and he drops it on the ground, which is nuts. (laughs) So maybe she'll find it and she'll know. Uh, Carmen walks into Johnny and she's surprised that, everything's changed. She's like, did you do, do this all today? He's like, yeah, the whole place is baby proof. He's like, I, you know, I dare you to try to you know, find a place you can stick your finger in or something like that. 
And then um, she's like, I have something to confess. She's like, I took the test. And then it's like, okay. Then she's like, we're having a baby. And he's like, badass. And then they smooch. At the Encino Oaks Country Club, Daniel's like in the steam room. He's like, ah, whatever. And then you start hearing the message that Daniel left for an attorney. It's Terry Silver. So his attorney played him the message or sent him the message. He's like, we're going to be seeing a lot of each other. He's like, first, I'm going to deal with an old friend. And then I'm going to deal with you. He's like, I told you not to play with fire. Then we see Barnes. It's like, okay, so is Barnes really on Terry's side? Are they planning something? He gets out of his car. Then he's got like this look of shock on his face. His furniture store is going up in flames. He's like, oh, God. So it turns out Barnes wasn't working with Terry. And Terry somehow must have figured out that Barnes must have told Daniel about the lawyer, I guess, because maybe that's the only way you find out. So he burns down his store. But does this mean that Barnes will work with Daniel now? Because now, now he he made it personal for Barnes. I don't know. I mean, if, so at this point, you may have watched the whole season already, but uh, that's where I'm going to start stop <laughs> in my karate uh, karate kid, my Cobra Kai coverage for this week. Oh my goodness. Okay, and now this week's main feature is Clerks 3. So this is Kevin Smith movie. It's the third movie in the Clerks trilogy, whatever you want to want to call this. And um, so I, I mentioned Kevin Smith, right? It's, it's a. I'm not really sure how I feel about this. So I, I'm a. I'd like to say I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. I, I enjoy his movies and, you know, Clerks, if you go back and watch it, you know, yes, some of the acting, come the acting is questionable, but it was, it was a brilliant piece of, of work. If you look at like how it was made and, you know, just the cost and everything. And, and just the fact that it was a movie and, you know, there was a lot of dialogue and, and there, there's something about those type of movies where, you know, it's not relying on, just big action or, you know, big names or stuff like that. And, you know, it's all shot in black and white. And, you know, I guess the idea, it was meant to be sort of like uh, store footage. And, you know, you just, you see these characters and it just, not that it felt like realistic because, you know, some things were a little far-fetched, but there's just, it's, it had a certain a bit of charm. And, you know, you, you, this is where we got to see a bunch of, Kevin's friends, you know, these characters popped up in other movies and, you know, they often played different characters. Sometimes they played same characters. So it's just this weird in the view askew universe where you have all these characters, there are so many different people who look the same. Just the fact that like with Jason Lee, you know, he in the same movie, uh, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, what was it called? I'm totally blanking, which I, I enjoyed the movie though. But he's like, he's playing two different characters. So you get what I'm saying. So with this, um, it's just, it's hard to say what I, what I, how I feel about this. I think part of the thing for me, like Clerks was never my favorite movie. I have deep, immense respect for it because, you know, this was like the first film and just how, what it did and just how it started everything. I've always been about mall rats and I don't know if it's just because there's a slightly more comic book angle to it, you know, just a lot of more, more references and that. 
And uh, maybe because I saw it in a theater and, and then I, I loved the soundtrack and it's just, you know, I just felt there. Whereas like when Clerks came out, obviously I didn't see it in a theater because I hadn't even heard of it. And it was just like after the fact, I don't even remember how I came on board with this, but I just remember just watching it and everything after hearing about it. And, you know, and of course, Jay and Silent Bob, you know, they're great. And Jason Mewes, is, I, I love Jason Mewes. I mean, he's just hilarious. So with Clerks, you know, I, I appreciated Clerks and all that. And that was like, what, 95? I forget when that came out. And then Clerks 2 came out, which was, I want to say 2006. And I, I know I really should have these dates, but I don't, I'm, I'm not going to look, look this stuff up. My problem with, with this, actually, going back a, a bit, because before that, you know, we, we also had the animated series, which I, I, I liked. I really liked the, the art style of, of that, and I wish it would have lasted longer. Because I, I remember... I think they only showed, they didn't show all of them. And I think it was on ABC, which is crazy. But then they released them on DVD. Pretty sure it was DVD, not VHS. It wasn't that late. But I think my problem is I'm not the biggest fan of Dante and Randall. And, and part of it is, is Randall is such an a-hole. And I guess, you know, that's supposed to be his character. He's this, you know, smart Alex, smarmy. I don't know, not necessarily smarmy. But just, he's just rude and everything. You know, yeah, he says what he, he thinks, what's on his mind. You know, he's got no filter. But it's it's almost at the point where it's like, how can you like, you know, are we supposed to like this character? Where, you know, they're, they're such, at, at heart, Dante and Randall are, are really good friends. But he's just such a jerk to him, and he's like lazy, doesn't want to do anything, and he's just rude to everyone, and he's just like so bitter. It's like, dude. And Dante, you know, the, the whole thing with Dante is Randall says that you know it's either crap or get off the pot, and you know he's he just complains about everything, and, and so you, you got all that, and it's just the fact that it's like, okay, you're working in a convenience sort of your whole life, which whatever, nothing wrong with that. It's just, but it was at, at the young age, it's like. Where, where you're you have no motivation no intentions to do anything so with the sequel you know it kind of felt like they they tried upping the sequel you know obviously it's a bigger budget and everything like that and then oh let's bring in rosario dawson and uh you know that that i, I felt like that gave it a little more credibility because you know she was an established actor compared to you know to other people who mainly only were in kevin smith's movies not to discredit them or anything like that but I, I did rewatch Clerks 2 the night before I saw Clerks because I don't think I've really seen, I don't know if I've seen Clerks 2 more than once because it wasn't my favorite movie. And part of it, I, I feel like, not to be mean or anything like that, but I, I don't, it does it seems kind of weird, the Dante and like Rosario Dawson's character like getting together and everything like that. But whatever, sake of the story and, and everything like that, you know, you get the happy ending in the movie and spoiler for part two. <laughs> but I do have to say, oh, what's the other guy's name? I totally forgot. Uh, in Clerks 2. He's also in Clerks 3. He was kind of funny. You know, it was just it, what when going to the Clerks 2 since I just rewatched it. One of the things was weird is they gave this guy like such a hard time because he was into Lord of the Rings. And, you know, Randall is all about Elias, that's his, that's the name. You know, Randall's all about like Star Wars. That's like his own thing. And like, because even then, he he acts like he doesn't know who Optimus Prime is. It's like, come on, how can he not know the Transformers unless he's he's tr just doing that to to like tick him off? Like he's pretending like he doesn't know. But it's it's I don't know. It it just seems weird that you would be. S 
I guess, no, I guess it's not really surprising because, you know, you have people who are very into their fandoms, but at the same time, you think it, it just seems weird that you wouldn't be a little more understanding because a lot of people give Star Wars fans a hard time. There's a lot of people give this, you know, so it's like, okay, here's someone else who's really into something. So why are you going to crap on them when people probably crap on you and, and so forth? But so we had the second movie. Uh, and, and what was weird about the second movie is, you know, it it starts with uh, they're working at movies, a fast food place, and then they they go to. Now I'm trying to think how how it happened because it wasn't oh because what had happened is the quick stop had burnt down in the second one, so that's why they're at movies, and then they decide. Spoilers again for part two. They decide well maybe they should reopen it and everything like that. So then it cuts to three, which is now how many years later? Randall's still working there. Dante's still there. Elias is still there and everything like that. Now, this is a tricky part. Uh, because of, of how the movie is distributed, I saw it through one of the Fathom events. I don't know if they have those if in your area. So a lot of times they do these kind of limited engagement, like kind of special movies. Like I know my theater is doing a lot of like a Studio Ghibli movies, like through the Fathom events where you can see it on the big screen and everything like that. So with um, and like the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, I saw that through a Fathom event because I don't know if that was like a widely distributed movie. I paid it was 15 bucks, which, you know, you're paying a little more. I guess I normally pay like maybe it's like 11, 12 bucks for a movie ticket. But when I, when I saw Jane Silent Bob reboot, it was like fifteen bucks, but it was a double feature. So they showed Jane Silent Bob Strike Back first, and then that. So that was cool. Um, with this, I was like, okay, I really want to see the movie, and I know it's going to play in the city. And, and there's like Kevin Smith's doing a tour, where you know he's he's doing like probably like a Q and A or whatever, you know, talking about it. But that's I forget when that's happening. I don't know if it's end of this month, and that's in in San Francisco. I could go. But it's literally like from my house, I'm not that far from the city, but it's like at least an hour's drive, at least, if not more. And it's it's just ridiculous that it takes so long. It's just a straight drive, too, down to 101. But with traffic and just with the, everything, it's just, it's, and then you got parking and it's just, I'm just like, no. And, you know, with, with work and I just, I was like, I just want to see the movie. And with this Fathom event, you know, so I saw it on Tuesday. Tuesday the 13th. And so I was like, I want to see it. And then I find, and I had to go to a different theater, not like my local theater, but it wasn't that far. And then I find out it's like, oh, it's playing at my theater this, this past week and it opened Friday. So I'm like, oh man, but that, that's fine. Cause I got to see it Tuesday, got to see it. You know, what I would say with the, with this movie, cause the movie, and I, I, again, I'm not, I haven't really even talked about the movie, right? The What's interesting about the movie is the budget was only seven million, so that's that's pretty impressive for what they did for that. Um, I think so far, and I, um, I, it's it's not. I don't know how much money it's going to make, but it it's barely even open, so I don't have the weekend numbers yet in front of me. I think it made like uh, just over a million dollars, like the the pre shows. So that's that's pretty good from just a fathom events. So with the movie, you know. Do you get a lot of familiar faces? There are a lot of people who have been in other Kevin Smith movies. You know, some people playing same characters, some people playing other characters or whatever. There's a lot of Kevin Smith fans, you know, doing just a little tiny cameo. Some of the the the, the cameos 
felt a little unnecessary, but it's like you have like all of his friends are, are doing something because, okay, I'm going to talk about the movie. I'm not going to spoil. There's like, there's some, some big things. Like there's one thing that you find out right away. And I felt kind of bad because like <laughs> someone like came in late and you like, you kind of miss this one thing. They obviously explain stuff later, you know, it's a reference again, but I'm just thinking about this person that came into theater late. It's like, you just missed this huge bombshell, like in the first minute or whatever so i'm not going to talk so that that with that being said what i'm trying to allude to is you need to see this before you hear any spoilers now obviously it's not like people are gonna be all over twitter talking about oh clerk's i can't believe this happened just you know it's but it's it's if you're in any any sort of message community groups or anything like that where kevin smith you know they're gonna be talking about it so and there could be even I wouldn't be surprised if some certain enter, entertainment websites spoil something why so and so so and so and so whatever so I would just I just strongly caution you if you're not able to see it right away because what I was getting at before talking about the fathom stuff it's not necessarily gonna be widely released so it might not be playing in your area right right away you might have to wait till it's streaming somewhere and the way things are going these days, because you know, with theaters still and COVID and stuff like that, maybe it won't be that long. You know, it seems like with the major movies, it's like that forty-five day window. Maybe this will be less, where you'll be able to rent it, you know, uh, somewhere and you know, pay twenty bucks to rent it or something. Just watch it with friends or do something. So, um, the main thing that that happens, uh, one of the things that that ha- not the main thing, but one of the things that happens is there is a. Okay, I, I guess I'll spoil this part because this isn't a huge thing. Randall ends up having a heart attack at one point, like early on, and it, it's you know this that's not something to joke about. And I feel like a lot of this was maybe part of Kevin Smith's continual way to deal with like what happened to him. And I get that, I appreciate that, and it's it's this is like you were making these, you know, we're trying to make these characters realistic or relatable. And this is something that could happen at, at this point, in, you know, people's lives where you have to be careful if you're eating like crap and not taking care of yourself, that this is something that you have to deal with. And seeing these characters deal with that, it, it kind of, it makes sense and everything, but part of it almost felt like, not that it was like a after school special or like a PSA or anything like that, but it just felt like, I, I almost felt like we were kind of watching this for Kevin Smith's sake, you know, as this was like his process of dealing. And if that's totally, I, I don't think that that's why he did this, that this wasn't his way to deal with it. Cause I think he's kind of dealt with it already. You know, he's addressed this. He's done, you know, he's written a book or didn't stand up or whatever, just like dealing with all that. He's knows he's in a way better place now, which is great. It's awesome for him. I'm so happy for him, but it kind of felt like watching this and, I don't know because you know when you watch these movies, you expect them to be funny, and and that's not funny stuff. But because of this, um, blah blah blah, do do do, things happen. Randall decides he wants to make a movie about his life because you know he spent his his whole life or whatever watching movies. So why shouldn't he? You know, he should be able to write a movie and direct a movie, even though he knows absolutely nothing about it. So then. That's at this point, the reason I bring this up and spoil that little aspect of it is because then at one point they're doing auditions as to who's going to play like different people, you know, who's going to play Randall and Dante, whatever. And you just have all these people reading lines and stuff. And, and part of it's like, you know, lines from clerks, 
you know, whatever, and maybe clerks too. So it, it's it's kind of funny to see so many people, but then it's like, mm, okay, really? So that that was fine. And then um, there's some, something crazy that, that happens later and everything. So all in all, what I'll, I'll say, because I, I just really feel like I'm tiptoeing around, you know, and with the movie, you know, I always thought about with the comedy movies, it's kind of hard to talk about because they rely on the humor. And one, I don't want to spoil a joke or a funny scene. And then two, it's not going to come off as funny if, if I try to describe it because you need the visuals or just the delivery and all that. So there are some good parts. And I, I just feel like it was a little bittersweet. And maybe because it's the end of a trilogy. So it's just kind of weird for me because, like I said, this isn't like my favorite you know, Clerks 1 and Clerks 2 are not my favorite thing. I, I can appreciate them, but watching this, I was just, I don't know. I, I, maybe I just wasn't in the, the happiest place when I watched this. It was not that it was necessarily a downer or anything like that, but, you know, the, I guess the idea of, well, if this is a, the end of the trilogy, we're not, are we going to see these characters? And and who knows, you know, maybe we'll see the characters pop up again somewhere else and do some cameo or whatever. But it just felt like in some regards that like, you know, this is the end of the trilogy as it should be. I, I feel like the way it wrapped up that this would be good, but it, I wouldn't be upset if, if we saw any, any of the characters pop up somewhere else. So you have all that. Um, so overall it was fine, but there are some moments where, it, it did feel like it dragged a little bit and, you know, there are some parts that weren't like super funny, but I, I did enjoy it. I am glad I saw it. I'm glad it's made. I'm glad people are going to be able to watch it. It's just, man, some things I was just like, man, and I don't mean man, like, you know, like, what are you doing? But just man. And then like, wow, you know, it's just kind of heavy. So I shouldn't say anything more. If you are a Kevin Smith fan, if you have watched clerks or clerks too, you, you should, watch this i mean you owe it to yourself and you owe it to kevin well you don't know you don't owe anything to kevin smith but i maybe you owe him for just the entertainment that he's given us that you know to support this movie uh, i love the fact that this it's movie with such a tiny budget is able to be made they did such a great job and you know they filmed it in new jersey you know the, the, that's like a huge deal you know just with the tax breaks and you know it's not easy to film they're always and you know that's why they're always filming in in georgia or vancouver or whatever because it's easier to, to film different places so i definitely think you should check it out and um if you have to wait till later for like if you're doing the kevin smith tour thing whatever just try to avoid spoilers don't go don't read up anything you know and talk about even if someone's talking like box office you know receipts for this there something could slip out there and if you're going to any kevin smith fan sites or anything like that or any art just i would just be careful because it's not like it's you know it's not like a marvel movie spoiler or thing like that but i don't think you should you know spoil these things if you can help it because it's i i strongly think it's better if you watch it and see it fresh instead of knowing it's coming and then like oh yeah there's that there's that that part that happened that i knew about so that's just my two cents. And um, hopefully, <laughs> if, if you enjoyed the show, you think it's worth more than two cents, like uh, Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken, 
they believe this is way more than two cents. So they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash Jman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I just recently talked again about John, more John Burns, Fantastic Four from the 80s. I just love that series. I think I'm going to put a pause on that. I'm going to talk about a movie this week, a movie from the 80s. No, no particular reason it's the 80s is just coincidental. But it's a movie that I, I don't know why I never saw it. I always wanted to see it, and it just I, I didn't. And um, it's not necessarily going to be like, oh, my gosh, Tony's talking about this movie. I need to be a patron. I need to listen, hear what he has to say. But... There, I mean, there's a couple reasons for for that. So it's kind of a personal thing as as well. And um, I'm always open to suggestions if there's anything you want to hear me talk about on that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. And that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right. What is going to happen next week? You know, as always, that's that's a good question. I'm still debating. I t- I totally missed that Pearl came out last week. Um, it was like the Wednesday last Wednesday when I saw. I was like, wait, that's coming out this week. I knew it was coming out soon. I don't know why. I, for some reason, I was thinking October. So Pearl is the prequel to the movie X. So it's the A24 movie, and I'm I'm really curious about about the movie. I mean, X is X is kind of a it's an interesting movie. You know, it's a horror movie, but there's like you know they're making up a, a, a porn, and then you know things happen. Um, it's on this farm, so it, it's it, there's some crazy things that happen. I mean, it's like disturbing in like a horror movie how a horror movie should be. So the idea of this prequel is just it, it fascinates me. And, and oh, I, Mia Goth is that who, who's in it? So I'm I'm really curious to see this prequel. I do want to see it. I don't know if there's like a huge demand for you you listeners like it's like oh man tony's not talking about pearl um so i but i'm debating i do want to see it so it's like do i wait and see it or do i go i might like do i try to go to matinee or whatever i don't know so i may see that and if i do i'll talk about that next week but i think um the the main feature next week and you know i i could be wrong i think it'll be don't worry darling um you know so that that's the florence Pugh. Um, Harry Styles, Chris Pine movie that that just watch the trailers. It's Olivia Wilde directed trailer. I have no idea. I really don't know what this movie's about, but it looks like one of those kind of freaky movies that I love where like just like a weird reality perception or, you know, there's something going on. And and so I, I'm always so, so interested in that. Um, Blonde is also coming out on Netflix. I don't that comes out on Friday. I don't know if I'll talk about. Maybe I'll save that for the following week, which I hate doing that. But I'm sure I'm hoping you'll be okay with it. Maybe you don't even care. So that's the Anna the Armas movie. It's about Marilyn Monroe. I'm just curious about it. I'm, I'm it's you know it's an NC17 movie. Why? And I, I think she even said that you know she wasn't really sure why, but that's just how it went. So I that that comes out next week also. But I don't know if I'll get a chance to watch that and record and everything because there's so much other stuff to watch. I, I still need to finish Cobra Kai. <laughs> so, so that is going to be it for this week. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. I totally appreciate you. You are awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope you're doing well. I hope your life is going great. I hope you're doing fun things. Hope you're taking care of yourself. And I hope you remember to be good to each other. 